He wrote that the world doesn't need a savior, but every day I hear people crying for one. No matter how bad things get, there's something good out there, just over the horizon. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol, I can be incorruptible. I can be everlasting. You don't have to do this, please. This is insane. Betty, I've got to try. Welcome to Modern Myth Media by way of Marvel Studios News. My name is Sean Gerber. This episode, I am joined by Paul Herman, Justin Bolger, and Chris Clow. We are coming together to celebrate the life of our dear friend and brother, John Beerley, who passed away on January 23rd, 2020. Most recently, John was my co-host on the, on the Star Wars-themed podcast, Fandalorians. He's also been on Marvel Studios News a couple of times, including our Avengers Endgame spoiler review last year. At the end of this episode, you will hear some of John's best moments in podcasting. Before we get to those, however, we will share some of our favorite memories of the great John Beerley. And I will start with the origin story of a family. Before Marvel Studios News, there was Modern Myth Media, a podcast I launched in March of 2011 dedicated to covering the broad range of topics that might be considered our modern mythology, but mainly superheroes. John and I had already been podcasting together for a couple of years since the early days of the original Batman on Film podcast. Before that, we'd become friends via the BOF message board, and even before that, I'd already known of John as the guy who wrote comic reviews on the BOF website that were often better than the issues he was reviewing, even the good ones. Be it the written or spoken word, John gave his all when sharing his thoughts on the subjects he, on the subjects he was passionate about. And his all was a lot, considering that he was as talented in those respects as anyone I'd ever met, then or since. There was never any question as to whether or not I wanted him to join me on Modern Myth Media, and I was incredibly lucky that John agreed to be on the show. Fortunately for me, a couple of other great podcasters from those BOF days also agreed to come on as co-hosts, Chris Clow and Brad. Early in the show's run, we were joined by a self-proclaimed Marvel zombie named Paul Herman, who not only emailed in his request to join the show, but actually included samples of his previous work on other podcasts. Always attach a resume when shooting your shot. Not long after the show had launched, I met a kindred spirit at my day job named Justin Bolger. Justin and I had little mini podcasts without recording during breaks at work, and I soon asked him to be on the actual podcast. My good fortune continued, and he agreed. A funny thing happened while we were making that Modern Myth Media podcast. We would usually record on Friday nights or Saturday afternoons. Recording sessions were known to take roughly four to five hours in order to produce episodes that were only one to two hours. All of that extra time was devoted to hours-long pre- and post-episode chats, talking about the same stuff we just recorded about or were about to record about, and then also catching up on each other's lives. Aside from Justin and myself and Chris and Paul, we rarely saw each other in person, but that didn't matter. We were friends who became a family. John was at the center of that family. He knew us better than most of our local friends and family because he dared to really ask how you were doing and care about the answer. Family members aren't supposed to have favorites, but I think John was everyone's favorite anyway. 
The family grew over time, adding Josh Costella, Katie Sullivan, and Antoinette Gully, who joined John and Justin for the Dead Talks podcast. It also included Robert Reinecke, who joined the show later in, in its run. Robert Reinecke also recently hosted the Swamp Things podcast with John Beardley as well. The Modern Myth Media podcast eventually ended. Everyone was on to new and exciting opportunities, making it difficult to get enough of the family back together every week. Without the family, the spirit of the podcast just wasn't the same. Without the podcast, however, the spirit of the family endured. We didn't need recording sessions to stay in touch and up to date on each other's lives. Our bond held strong, thanks in no small part to John, who again made sure everyone was okay and was as happy as he would reassure them that they deserved to be. Modern Myth Media may have brought the family together, but John Beerley was the biggest reason we stayed together. To lose him is devastating beyond words, but it was a privilege to call him a friend and brother. He was a true gentleman, and we honor his memory here and now and in our future together. Gentlemen, welcome back to Modern Myth Media. Paul, Chris, and Justin, I am so happy to have you all here, even if I know we all hate the reason that we are back together for this show. But I want to make this as happy of a show as we can, remembering our dear friend, John Beerley. And Paul, I will bring you on here first. Of course, this has been an incredibly difficult experience for us both, but I am also incredibly happy that we have a platform here uh, to be able to tell as many people as possible just how great John Beerley was. People know that John and I were very, very close and... It was because of you know Sean uh, bringing John on the the Thor podcast that the Thor roundtable from 2011 that I had no idea who this person was. I had met Chris and I had met I think Brad and and obviously Sean and on other shows and they said oh John's joining this show and I said oh that's uh oh that's cool I mean, I meet a new guy that's 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 whatever and we proceeded to. Uh, just click instantly. And it was something that I just, I don't, I, I have with people, but never on the level of like just instant, like me and John were instantly buddies and I'll never forget. Uh, I, I, I friended him immediately because we were, we were, we were both on Facebook where we were talking and I'm like, this guy's awesome. And I, I friended him immediately and I posted a shirtless Chris Hemsworth on his, on his wall. And I remember him being like, no, no, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I'm just like, Oh, sorry, my bad. Uh, you know, it was just really funny. And, but, uh, but John was, but we, he, we were both just like in love with Chris Hemsworth. He thought he was a great Thor. And we both geeked out over Walt Simonson, uh, who is, obviously a, a big Thor uh, creator and, and, and guy cre- created Beta Ray Bill. And at the time I had bought the omnibus of Walt Simonson and, and John had pretty much, I think done as well. And we were both just geeking out about it. And I went, Whoa. And as Sean said, you know, I'm self-proclaimed Marvel zombie. So when people said, Hey, or when, when people, when someone says they like Walt Simonson Thor, Thor run, you listen, you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. And this is before Marvel's even bigger than it is now. So, you know, when someone says they know Walt Simonson, they they like what they like comic books. They like Marvel. And John instantly was like, "Oh yeah, Walt Simonson. I love Walt Simonson." <laughs> I'm like, "All right, this guy's awesome." And we immediately connected. And there was uh, it was weird because when as John and I and and Chris and Sean and and Brad and and Josh on the Modern Myth Media podcast began to work more together, 
I became closer and closer with John, and we would just, you know, and one of the things that uh, what, what happened was John's John's mom passed away um, right when I we kind of started becoming friends, and that got us closer because I would just check in on him a lot, and uh, it we just we just grew really close, and and uh, you know I had a, I had a you know I had a time off the podcast for a bit, and during that time. John and I still talked on a regular basis, like kind of what Sean said, even though the things, you know, moved around or whatever, John was the constant. And I, as someone who at the time I was, you know, in a band at the time and was going to, sh- you know, playing shows and had a, you know, a ton of, you know, a ton of people I was hanging out with and friends and, and whatnot. John was always someone I wanted to talk to on a regular basis. And I missed him. I'll never forget calling him, wanting to know what he thought about Dark Knight Rises because I, I just watched it. And I'm like, man, I got to know what John thinks. Because John's, you know, one of the biggest Batman fans I know besides Chris Clow here. And I call up John and John's like, Paul, because I effing hated it. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I, I'll never forget. And I said, John, I didn't like it that much either. Oh, my God. I was so excited that someone besides me didn't love it as much as, you know, didn't love it because Chris was like, how come you don't like this? And he tried to you know, explain it to me. I'm like, Chris, stop trying to explain this movie to me. I don't care. <laughs> and so, uh, but John and I would just vent about how we th- thought the movie was so overrated and just, we just complain and complain and, you know, and John was just, yeah, he was, it, he was one of those people it, it, you would call at the time at that time was one of my better friends, even though I, I never met him in person, even though we didn't talk like every day at the time, we, we eventually, you know, we, we just, we would vet, we just, we'd talk every couple of weeks or a month or, or whatever. We just catch up and spend a couple hours on the phone, just, you know, BS and, and just talk and talk and talk. And John, and when I rejoined the show, um, modern myth media, which later became Marvel studios news and, and whatnot, Marvel news, John was, you know, obviously on the show quite a bit on and off, but it wasn't until I joined the show and I met Justin that, you know, it kind of things got different because Justin and John were huge Star Wars fans. And I'm a huge Star Wars fan, as you might know. And I was it was weird because, you know, you know Chris and I, we have comic books love. Me and Sean have comic book and, and Marvel love. And those are our connections. With with John, it was we have comic book love, but we have Star Wars love. And, and I remember my, my first year of knowing John, I bought him a, a Star Wars graphic novel, Star Wars Legacy, for uh, Volume One, which is a ridiculous comic, by the way. And I remember even asking John, like, "Do you even read this?" He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I did." I don't know if you ever did or not, but uh, but 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 because it was so ridiculous, I'm like, but I was into it. I was into it. But it wasn't until I met Justin that. My Star Wars when when the Disney the Disney sale happened, and I started getting to know Justin and John, and then Justin started taking over the Force cast, and then you know me and John were already good friends at this point, but it was when Justin took over and brought me and John on the Star Wars co-host, we me and John got even closer, and then all of a sudden me and Justin and John became like a unit, a Force triad as I have now affectionately call it, and. You know, and I, I, you've probably seen this on Twitter, but John and I and, and, and Justin, we talked every day, literally for almost four years, like straight. And I, when I say every day, 
Justin will will definitely agree, you know, will will could back me up and say that we would talk to each other like almost every every day. It was like maybe even even the holidays we would talk to each other and check che- you know check in on each other. And John was one of those people that just was there for me constantly. And the last and I've said this before on on Twitter, the last couple of years were some of the roughest years of my life. And John was one of the most constant people that was always there to be there for me whenever I needed it. And even when I didn't think I needed it, John was there. And John, and I've, I've said this before, John is, he, he, it, our souls are connected. And he's more than a, he's more than a, you know, blood, blood couldn't connect me closer to what John and I were connected as. And he's someone that I just, I've, I've, I've said it before. I would go into war for him whenever he'd ask it of me. And I still do it now. And John is like, like Sean, Sean said it best before, you know, during this time and before this time, even he said, John was the best of us. And that couldn't be more true. And it's something that I have, you know, just been so grateful to know someone and has not just know, but has gotten to be comforted by someone who is so selfless. And I, he's taught me to be even more selfless and I just am forever indebted to him and I love him and I miss him. And I, I just, you know, I know he's there with us and, uh, not, not a you know a day goes by. I don't think a day will ever go by that I don't think about him, because he was my family, and he was my brother. And John may have been technically an only child, but John had many brothers, and I I'm proud to be one. Absolutely, Chris. You met John. I don't know when exactly you met John on Batman on film. I know it was maybe. Within the first year of the show, I think you two were on a podcast together, correct? Yeah, so um, he and I corresponded a little bit uh, before we got together on a podcast, Um, but it was actually the very first BOF podcast I was ever on. You were there too, Sean. uh, It was about Batman Reborn, Um, uh, the, the death of Bruce Wayne that a lot of people in the BOF community weren't thrilled about. Yeah, you and I fought about that. I think February of that year. Yeah, that 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 rings a bell. Yeah, I yeah, think it was I like was, I was upset. <laughs> I think it was not long after uh, Final Crisis Six, which is when Superman finds Bruce Wayne's body. Um, and John wasn't a fan of it either. And uh, but being on a podcast with him, even if he and I were technically in different camps, it immediately became apparent to me that. Uh, He and I just seemed like we were kind of operating on a similar wavelength, um, just in terms of why we connect over the things that we, well, our shared interests. Um, And it didn't take me too long to discover that he had uh, an affinity for Superman that was either equal to or surpassed my own, which was kind of hard for me to find, uh, honestly. Kind of still is. And, um, those early BOF shows, uh, really 
reinforced for me just how how cool of a guy he was and i've made a point to be to to just kind of make a statement like i'm gonna get to know that guy better and um and we started talking on a regular basis because we were both writing comic book reviews and i honestly learned a lot from his and i told him as much and um you know in typical uh, modest fashion, he would brush me off saying, no, no, you have your own talent. Just continue to nurture it. And, um, but we just, we just continued to connect over the things that we both loved, just like all of us. But it gave way to a, a deeper friendship. Um, when we just started talking to each other about what was happening in our lives, we both lived in kind of small rural towns, although John's town is much, much smaller than mine. I know that for a fact now after having visited it. Um, so he, he and I just kind of had that same, a, a similar perspective, even kind of from the same environments. But then, you know, doing the Modern Myth Media show on a regular basis, I still have so many just great memories of, of doing that. And John is no small part of that. John is a really big part of why I prize those memories as much as I do. I mean, making lifelong friends is something that we all hope will happen in a digital environment like that. But I think John was the guy that kind of helped all of us to take that a step further. And um, I mean, he, like you said, Sean, at the top of the show so beautifully, he brought us all together and he really was kind of the glue and the heart of things that 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 kept us all beating at the same rhythm. And um in 2013, uh my now wife was accepted into um Northwestern University's PhD program. So I moved from the about as northwest as you can get in Washington state to the Chicago area, which was really tough. Uh I, I it's the furthest I'd ever been away from home before. And John Beerley actually was the very first of my friends to visit me living in the Chicago area. He was in town for a wedding for another one of his friends. And uh, that was the first time I actually got to meet him in person. I mean, we'd been talking for upwards of four years by that point. And it was just so easy and effortless to just pick up a conversation and run with it. And um, I mean, I already knew that he was an exceptional guy, but just getting to hang out we walked over to to a local comic shop we toasted burritos at chipotle uh and um i mean it was just a a really great visit that just led again to long nights on the phone talking about what's going on in our lives and um i was one of the the fortunate people along with you gentlemen to to read uh john's screenplay which was brilliant and um it was it was just a friendship that considering how it started should not have gotten as deep as it did but it did because of John Beerley and his openness and his dedication to his friends and his loyalty and his fierce fierce friendship there is just no way to get out of a discussion with John Beerley without being scathed by the man's kindness and generosity and um I spoke to him on the phone, this will tell you exactly what kind of a guy he is, was on my birthday. You know, he always made a point to uh, to get in touch on the day, whenever, and 
it was great to just catch up to him and I wish I had held on to that phone call just a little bit longer. Uh, like I think we all do, uh, whatever our, our final interactions were with him. And, um, these are, these are guys, all of these guys that you're listening to on this show right now are, are, are guys that I love are friendships that I hold very, very dear to my heart. Uh, John came to my wedding as an example, and he told me that it did compare favorably to other weddings that he had been to. <laughs> Which... <laughs> I just want you to know, I just want you to know that both John and Justin were mad that I told you that. They're like, oh, I can't believe man. you told them that. I was like, guys, it was amazing. So How could I not? See, to Justin, you <laughs> can't be mad at me anymore. favorite stories, by the way. Look, I, I honestly don't remember saying yes. that to you guys. I think my head was swimming uh, for, for that entire day. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that that got back to me, <laughs> especially now. Um, and that's even a joke that he put in. I think there was an Instagram post that John made when he was out here for Celebration in the Chicago area. Uh, we took a picture with me and Rachel and it's like, their wedding compares favorably, and I always laughed at that. But um, and you know, just getting to spend time with him um, when Sean made the very uh, he had a lot of foresight in in getting Modern Myth Media a panel at C two E two, twenty fourteen, and um, that was that was a blast. Uh, not only just getting to hang out with him again for the second time in person and picking picking things up immediately, but just getting the chance to spend time all of us as a unit minus paul which we all regretted but he was there in spirit with us and um i have a lot of really fond memories of and you guys do too of the stories that yep. john would tell and uh <laughs> the things that happened related to his hotel room I just, if one of you guys want to pick that up, then I'll let you do it because I'll okay, tell it. Good, in a good, bit. good, I'll good. Tell it good. Please do. But um, and then all of you guys came over to to our place just to to hang out, and um, I still have a Chromecast on my main TV that rotates a bunch of pictures, and there's more than one picture from that night that always is in the rotation. And um, how dare you leave out the greatest chili John ever ate in his entire life? <laughs> Oh man, he was so gracious. Rachel made chili for everybody that night and so good, so good, you know, <laughs> classic John Beerley complimenting, but um, it just punctuates how much of a loss it is to all of us. And of course, to, to everybody that, that uh, was fortunate enough to see him on a regular basis, you know, um, we got to meet a lot of his friends when we were at the funeral that we never got to meet. And there was always, I think that the thing that struck me, and I, I think you guys would agree too, the tenor of the closeness between all of his friends was very similar. You know, he had such a great way to inspire yeah. the best in people. And, um, and that's something that it's, it's irreplaceable. And I wish that he had had that for himself uh, because he deserved it probably more than anybody. And maybe he did, but I, I, I just, I hope that for him. And like you guys have said, I mean, he's a brother. He's our, he's, he's the Martian manhunter to our justice league. He's the heart and soul. And um, 
I love him and miss him too. And I think we're all going to for a very long time to come. Justin, do you remember when the first time you spoke with John or the first time you were on a show with him? You know, it's funny. I don't remember the first time I was on a show with him, but I do remember the first time that he was notable enough, like, okay, John Beerley, John, this person and the things he believes in. And it's hilarious to me because you guys have mentioned it already, but it's the Dark Knight Rises Modern Myth Media podcast. <laughs> um, Sean, you and I were already having those those mini podcasts at work like you're talking about. We were discussing all of this stuff and I had uh, I had been tuned on to your, your show from talking to you and I remember thinking, John sounds so cool. How can he not like this amazing movie? <laughs> and I remember even like asking Sean, like, I don't get it. Why doesn't he like it? And just something about his voice and the way that he was uh talking about his opinion you know i'm not somebody who tends to dwell a lot on people who hold different opinions than mine it, it's not something that bothers me but um and i think everyone would agree that john had this quiet persistent energy to himself that made him somebody who you couldn't help but pay attention to he was magnetic in the most unassuming kind of way and it was a way that would sneak into your heart and just make him, you know, one of the most endearing people you'd ever met before you knew it. Uh, like Paul said, you're, you're talking to this guy every single day. You're telling this guy things you don't tell family members every single day. Um, yeah, that's, I, I don't remember when I first actually spoke with him. Um, but I do remember, if I may, if I may say so, um, I do remember the moment that I realized that there was something more to just randomly talking to this guy every couple of days. And it's, it's the moment where Paul and myself and John, it was this transition where after that day, it, it was every day we were, we were randomly talking about, I think scheduling a podcast recording and somebody made this off color joke that everyone else had observed, but no one else had said because no one wanted to be mean. And everyone just started cracking up. And all of a sudden that text chain turned into a phone call and that phone call may have been 10 to 15 minutes, and about 12 and a half minutes of that was just laughter that two other people had had the exact same thought about, like, three different situations that were all connected in this weird online way. And we, I don't know if you remember this, Paul, we just died laughing for, like, 12 minutes. Um, we, we got off the phone, but that, it was from that moment that we just, you know, every, like I said, every single day, this is, these, this is somebody, and these are people that you were talking to, and, um, just over the years, you know, we were on many podcasts together, um, podcasts turned into vacations that you would go see people, people would come to see you. And somewhere along the line, he turned into this, I have to use the same word that everyone else is using. He really was, you know, a brother to me. He was a consigliere. He was somebody who knew me better than most of my family members know me. Somebody who knew how I felt about the world and how I, how I felt about myself. and there was this vulnerability to our relationship that he never betrayed and in fact only shined a light on in, in the best way. The most vocal cheerleader I've ever had in my life, honestly, is probably John Beerley. He's given me advice in moments of, I guess, doubt as far as like, huh, what decisions should I make with my future? What do you think? Um, why do you think that? And he would always give me upfront advice. He never sugarcoated everything. But, but damn, if he did not make you feel better about yourself 
than than you did typically. And sometimes because of the nature of the world and you know you come up against things in your life, you didn't necessarily believe in yourself as much as John did but he always did believe in you and beyond that he was often right about things strengths um advantages that you could have because of who you were and because of his understanding of you that you weren't i can name several times in my life that i thought to myself that's really nice that john is my friend enough to tell me these things and then you know lo and behold some of the things that he there <laughs> there's no better word than prophesied um actually came true and then he would throw it in your face and say you know i told you i told you it was gonna happen you didn't believe me i told you it was gonna happen and you would be like damn like i wish that i believed in myself as much as john Beerley does i don't know that i can say anything better about him as far as how i how i felt about him and how much i love him than that he was just such such a powerful presence in my life and he did so much for me and i i will never ever one, be able to forget him as trite as that sounds, but more importantly, um, he'll never be gone from me because of the the conversations we had and the things that he said to me at times that I really needed to hear them, but I didn't know, but he did. Um, and the, the best thing about him is that, you know, in the wake of his passing, there are people all over the place online that you discover that he didn't just interact with in a digital way to, you know, kind of um, magnify the point that Chris was talking about earlier. Um, he, he had that same effect on people literally all around the world where he made them believe in themselves more than they do and that his passing has affected them and it's, it's stayed with them in a meaningful way. And for my money, it's because that same feeling that I've been talking about, about how he believed in you more than you did and somehow got you to believe 10% of what he believed in about you, which was 500% more than anyone else ever did. Um, it, that's an infectious feeling and it's not something that people will forget. And you're, you're seeing that online and people still, you know, over a week after his passing, you're still seeing John Beerley stories pop up. He meant something to people and he meant something to me. You're, you're talking about these things that, you know, people believe, John made you feel, you believe in yourself more than you ever thought. And that couldn't be more true. And I just wanted to say, even to people that I think this is kind of in this, in this, in this light, and I didn't know about this, and I'm curious if Sean and Chris, if you heard about this, uh, his, one of his good friends, uh, we've been talking, and, and that's the beauty, of, by the way, of, of John Beerley, is that everyone, when we all sat at, on, on, with his best friends that we never met through Indiana or people that you know, he met through different uh, fandoms, we've all been connected with those people and we keep hearing different John stories and these different Johnisms and, and these crazy things that happen. But one of his good, one of his best friends, um, he told me, he said he paraphrased this and I was just, and I told you this on the weekend. I couldn't believe it, but Paul, D uh, Denis, Denis, I'm not sure how he's pronounced the last name of Paul Dini. Dini. I couldn't I want, I want to call him Denis, but yeah, Paul Dini, the, 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 obviously the famous writer of Batman, uh, of animated series created Harley Quinn. Uh, he, the, there were me and uh, Chris are doing a future episode of uh, the comic binge and we're reading his issues. And I was telling his friend this and he told me funny John story. He says, paraphrasing Paul actually has gone on and said that I, when John was doing reviews for Batman on film for the, for the, for his issues, if John wrote a good review, that he, I guess he basically said that John, he knew if John liked his review or liked his comic and he wrote a good review, he knew he did something right. 
the guy who created Harley Quinn said once if John really liked his comic, he know he knew he had done well. How insane is that? Like that is like high high praise. Yeah, it's 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 just I mean that's even people who are work in the industry who are established are like oh John really likes this. Oh, I did well then. Like legitimate. Like that's incredible. And he you know what? He never told me that. He never told me that. I'm actually pissed off that he never told me that, to be honest. So anyway, I I apologize. <laughs> well, Paul Dini wasn't the only Batman writer who really loved John Beerley. Yeah. Yes. So I was at WonderCon in I think 2012. And I approached Scott Snyder, who was writing Batman as part of the new 52 at the time. But John had been reviewing Scott's work on Batman when Scott was doing uh, Detective Comics, the, the Black Mirror story arc that Scott did while Dick Grayson was still Batman uh, during that time period of Batman Reborn and such that we argued about a lot back, back in those days. But anyway, John, I had was not really into the whole idea of Dick Grayson as Batman, but John actually talked me into reading those books and he had been reviewing them for Batman on film. And so when I approached Scott Snyder at WonderCon, I introduced myself. I said, hi, my name is Sean. I work with, I mentioned my website, I mentioned Modern Myth Media, I mentioned Batman on film. As soon as I said Batman on film, and I think you might've seen it on my badge and he said, and he said, John, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm not John. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not that, I'm not the guy you like. Uh, so then I told him, no, John Beerley is a friend of mine, but he loves your stuff. And he's, and he stopped me right there. He's like, I love John. <laughs> and I had already brought, uh, there was a hardcover deluxe edition of the Black Mirror that I brought to WonderCon to have Scott Snyder signed for John. And of course, Scott was happy to do it. And I sent it to John. Um, but yeah, he already, I mean, he was hoping that I was John Beerley because he desperately wanted to talk to this guy <laughs> whose reviews he had read, uh, and loved. So yeah, they, John was very popular with uh, with Batman writers, and I'm sure writers of all kinds of stories, but particularly with Batman. Funny story, you guys have been bringing up John's review of The Dark Knight Rises. I'll never forget the email I got from John before we recorded that episode oh, of the podcast. Yeah. John sent an email saying, and I'll, I'll always remember the first line in particular, guys, I'm gutted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was how you knew John really didn't like something. Is, is if he threw out the word gutted, then you knew that John was not happy. Um, although at the time, I didn't know. That was what established gutted as the bar on which John barely really hates something. And he actually, and I, I felt horrible at the time for a couple of reasons. First, I knew John was looking forward to that film every bit as much as we all were. And so I knew when he said he was gutted that he really was, that he wanted to love that movie just as badly as everyone else did, and he just didn't. And he was so disappointed. But also, John being John, and just being the nicest, most kind human being I'd ever known, he actually offered to not be on the show. And I don't say that he should have offered that, but his intent was 100% pure. He didn't want to ruin anybody else's good time. He knew that many of us already loved the movie, and he also knew that our audience, most of our audience probably loved the movie and people weren't going to want to hear him or anyone else talking about how, they how he didn't like the film. And I immediately fired back and told John, you are 100% on the show. It doesn't matter that you don't like it. 
your I mean, it matters because it sucks for you as a fan that you don't like it. And I'm sad for that. But you deserve to be able to say what you want about this film as much as anyone. And and, and he always explained himself. And I think John always did a very good job of explaining why he didn't like the movie. I, of course, disagreed with him and quite strongly. And we debated on the podcast and elsewhere. But John was coming from a place of love. He wasn't being cynical. He wasn't being snarky. He wasn't coming from some place of hate. He was just disappointed that something that a character he really loved, that there was a story about that character that he was really looking forward to and just ended up not liking. And I know he was always severely disappointed by that, but I always respected John for being willing to uh, being willing to speak his mind and be as honest as he was when he loved some when he didn't love something, just as he was whenever he uh, whenever he did love something. And more often than not. John loved something. I mean, you, Chris, you talk about toasting burritos. <laughs> I think every burrito John had in his life was the greatest burrito he'd ever eaten <laughs> until the next one. Yeah. And it was the same thing for cheeseburgers and whatever else. And John and I definitely bonded over cheeseburgers. I remember at Star Wars Celebration in April of 2015, we were out at the food trucks and we we're like, what are we going to get? Of course, we're going to get cheeseburgers. And then, but the thing with John is it's not just what are we going to get, cheeseburger. Okay, but how many are you going to get? <laughs> and so we each had two. We were double fisting cheeseburgers. And it's one of my favorite pictures of John and I is both, both of us with a cheeseburger in each hand. Uh, and to be clear, we both ate 100% of our two cheeseburgers. <laughs> so buns and all. So there's no, you know, there's no cheating. There. Well, he also um, taught but, me too that you could double meat at Chipotle. I didn't know that until I met John. <laughs> well, until of course John barely would know Until that. John and I went there. But it's funny that you mentioned The Dark Knight Rises because I actually pulled up the email. I still have it. And uh, it, it, it just emphasizes, I think, where he comes from. He didn't want to be a downer for everybody. Like that, he was so right. interested in the show <clears throat> maintaining a kind of positive energy. So he said, quote, I hate to bail, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to skip this one. I really didn't like the movie, and I don't want to be the bummer voice of dissent. I feel bad taking two hours out of time with my gracious hosts to be negative about the movie and th that you could tell because there are some people and i'm sure you guys have even podcasted with people i know i have that wait in the wings just to tear something apart you know mm -hmm. and that was just not the kind of person that he was he wanted to partake in that kind of positive vibe and positive energy and if he was going to be a lone voice of dissent he didn't want to take away from it even though regardless of what he thought and he should have known this. We all found value in his voice uh, because you could always count on him to express an idea eloquently and logically and frankly. And uh, that's just, I mean, it just, it just, it's emblematic of the kind of guy that he was. Well, I said this last week when we were all together. I said nobody ever disliked a movie with as much love as John Beerley. Yeah. He, right. he was genuine, not even to a fault, but. I think what struck me the most about me listening to him on those early podcasts was that this wasn't, to both of your points, this wasn't somebody who was tearing down a movie, which we see way too much, by the way, of in pop culture right now. This was somebody who loved the source material, loved the subject matter, loved the performances, and wanted better for and from them. And that takes me back to that same sense of, no, you may think, my friend, that you aren't this thing that you would like to be, but you can be and you are, and here's why. He would deconstruct people 
in the same way that he would deconstruct a movie, and it would always be from that same place of love and wanting it to be better, not out of selfishness, but because he loved the inherent potential of film. And that's where he fell in love with characters, and that's another area that all of us clicked with him on. Um, I'm reminded of when we were driving back um, at C2E2, Chris, to go to your house, and it was uh, John and Sean and I. And Sean, do you remember John doing The Fugitive in the back of that cab? Yes. He was doing the best Harrison Ford (laughs) impersonation of Dr. Richard Kimball. I can't even do it, but he's, he's running these scenes from The Fugitive. You find him. You find this man. Like, I'm, I'm about to die laughing right now. <laughs> he, just, that was him. And I, and I honestly think that's where his love of movies came from, is because there's story, which he loved, and it's about people, which he also loved. And just story plus people plus love was John Beerley. And we're all insanely lucky and fortunate that he chose to magnify that love out to everyone he met and become essentially a multiplier for kindness. I mean, everyone keeps saying it. He was the best of us. He, he was one of the finest human beings I've ever met in my life. And uh, especially since his passing, I've really been thinking about how I can be more like him in that regard. He's just the, yeah. the kindest person that you've ever met. And his brand of kindness just was genuineness personified like you you just couldn't touch how pure he is it 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 was incredible yeah he was really your champion i mean absolutely paul and i are, have still been recording this show you know, for the past few years with marvel studios news and john would reach out to me via text talking about the latest episode and how happy how much he enjoyed it and hmm. cuz there have been different times in my life where because I used to talk to John a lot, even though the podcast mostly faded around 2014, but I was still in touch with John all the time. We were texting back and forth, and every few months or so, we might get on. A, we would have this Skype call that would last just as long as those Modern Myth Media recording sessions, and we would talk about everything. And I mean, and, and John cared. One more thing, I, I want to make sure I I add on to this show is that. John barely didn't just care about you. He cared about anyone you cared about. Yeah. Yes. And a few years ago, my dad had heart trouble and had to have open heart surgery. And John was the one every single time, whether we were having, we were in the middle of a phone conversation or it was just a random text message check-in. How's your dad? How's your dad? John's never met my dad. Justin's met my dad, but John has never met my dad. But he cared because I cared. If I love my dad, then John Beerley must have loved my dad, and he needed to know that my dad was okay and that I was okay. And so, as John and I would talk about other things besides my dad's health, I shared with him how I wasn't really happy with how things had gone for me as as far as my career and how I kind of wished that certain things... I had regrets with respect to the podcast, even though I was... There were no regrets as far as the podcast having ended because it was the right decision because the podcast really was about that group of people and it wasn't that group of people anymore. And that ended for the right reasons because everybody had new opportunities. That's the way it's supposed to go. But I was also just personally a little, uh, a little sad and a little disappointed that in my own career that things hadn't progressed the way that I wanted them to and I was really doubting myself. John was a guy who kept saying, you're good, just stick with it, keep going, keep going, and keep going. And 
it just goes on to that point of, of John believed in you more than you did. And, and I absolutely felt that. And John was a huge part of my own process of self-discovery because I had gotten away from podcasting because I didn't feel like it was working for me anymore. And John was the one who really helped remind me of why I did it in the first place. And that was a huge part of inspiring me to come back and get this podcast going again in a way that I hadn't before. And then in, in Paul and I coming back and doing this on a weekly basis now for the past couple of years and having the Patreon and that's taking off and being, and it's all becoming much more successful. And a lot of that is just because John was the one who inspired me to keep going, who told me to believe in myself and keep the, and told me I was good at what I was doing. I still don't really know that he was right, but at least he said it and he meant well. And I always appreciated that about John. And I also loved how open he was with me about whatever he was dealing with that, as Chris mentioned, I mean, he shared a script with uh, a limited number of us, and it was a great script, but the, the frustrations of going through that whole process of trying to get something made and every agonizing turn, every infuriating turn of events that happens over the course of making things, just to put a, a bullet point on it, the fact that anything ever gets made is a miracle. Uh, and John barely going through that experience and sharing all of his frustrations, it finally gave me an opportunity. And I don't know that it really worked, but it finally gave me an opportunity. I'm sure it did for many of you as well to tell John barely how good I thought he was. Yeah, It's nice to get a compliment from John saying that he loves the Marvel podcast and he loves whatever else we've all been up to. But I mentioned at the top of the show how talented John was. He's the best writer I've ever known. I have not known a better writer than John Beerley, whether he's writing a script or he's writing a review about a movie or anything. Or a goddamn text message. Yeah. <laughs> or a review about a Hardy's cheeseburger that doesn't deserve it. <laughs> John Beerley could flat out write his ass off, uh, and he needed that to work off the cheeseburgers. John Beerley could write, and I'm a better writer because I read John Beerley. Yeah. Not that I tried to emulate him because there was no way that was going to happen, but John made me want to try harder. And even in podcasting, when I say John was the best of us, I don't just mean in character. I thought John was the best podcaster out of all of us. Yeah. I thought he was great. Nothing against any of you guys. You're all wonderful. But John was just there. John had it. He was that perfect combination of sincere and succinct, unless he was doing an intro review of Thor of the Dark World. <laughs> 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 but john knew how to hit his points and he was so good at it but he would do it in a way that was unquestionably authentic you knew that he was speaking from the heart one way or another be it positive or negative and it was just a joy to talk with john and that's why we were having so much fun even when we weren't recording anymore because john had actually stepped away from podcasting as he started getting busier with his script. He hadn't, we hadn't been doing Modern Myth Media for a while by then, but John, I think, had to step away from Forcecast. He had to give up podcasting for a bit, and I was really sad about that because I was selfish and thinking, oh no, I don't think I'm ever going to get to podcast with John again, but we got to do the best part of those podcasts by continuing to have conversations with one another, and then all of a sudden when there was going to be, not so much when we found out about The Mandalorian, but for the past couple of years, John and I started talking about, and John started saying that he might want to do a podcast again. And I, of course, pounced on that opportunity. And I wanted, and said, if John wants to do a podcast, let's do a podcast. 
uh, but we couldn't find what the right thing was. We kept kicking around different ideas and getting excited about them for five minutes, and then it faded away, uh, and then we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't actually do it. And then in late around, I guess it would have been August or September of 2018, we had already known that there was going to be a John Favreau run Star Wars series on the Disney streaming service, which we didn't yet know was going to be called Disney Plus. The series was going to be The Mandalorian. And so as soon as we found out the title of the show, we saw that first image. We're like, that's it. We're going to do a podcast about this, and it's going to be called Fandalorians. And so we're just going to do it. And I ended up putting the stuff together. I don't know if John really knew that he was making a formal commitment at that point, <laughs> but I started putting, I got the logo commissioned. I did everything. Like, we're going to make this podcast. And then I finally told John, everything's ready. Let's do it. And uh, he was thrilled. And of course, we started doing the show last year. And I'm so happy that we did that. The last episode that, you, that we did together of The Fandalorians, which you can hear now, it's our chapter eight spoiler review for the season finale of season one of The Mandalorian. That's the last time I ever talked to John. I'm embarrassed to say that because I feel like that, that happened almost a month before John died. And I hadn't spoken to him since then, but we were on a little bit of a break with the podcast because the season of The Mandalorian had ended. And I just days before John passed, Paul and I recorded a show on Marvel Studios News. And I said, you know, it's about time for John and I to do a, to do a Fandalorians and I needed to and I needed to reach out to him. And I, I really wish I had not that that changes anything, but that conversation and, and having that last uh, talk with John I hate that that's the last one, but I'm glad that it ended the way that it did. We had a nice moment together with John as well as uh, his girlfriend, Samantha, and we had a nice moment together at the end of the show. And then after we were done recording, said our goodbyes and we'll talk to you again on the next one. And that part never happened. But I will always be grateful that we took the time to stop wasting time and actually make that show and and get back together on a podcast because it was always such a joy to podcast with John Beerley because it was such a joy to just have any conversation at all with John Beerley. And I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy that we did that. And it's just been, uh, as I said, and as you've heard people say, I mean, John was, he really was the best of us. And I, I know he inspired me to be better in every way that I could be. I'm never going to be as nice as John Beerley, no matter <laughs> how hard I try. I just don't like people as much as he <laughs> But I will always try to be better, and that's because of John Beerley. Yes, he made me a better writer. Yes, he made me a better podcaster. But most importantly, I'm a better person because I came into contact with this amazing person named John Beerley, and, and I'll, I'll never, ever forget him. Yeah. One of my favorite things that, about John, especially in the context of the podcast, is that John would, would get hooked on the same dumb things that I did. like. Like Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, we both acknowledge that movie is is not a good movie in terms of just overall everyone would we know it wasn't a quote unquote good movie, but we both enjoyed it. And we But it did set up another classic John Beerley Nick Cage. Yes. Impression. Yes. And the Nick Cage that's where I was going. And the Nick Cage impression was his, oh my lord. He would he did it forever after that. And he would just say, I found a bee by her face, a bee, you know, and, and I, even to this day, I saw it. You remember that, Justin? You remember that? Okay. And he would just bust it out 
that and the fugitive he would just bust it out of nowhere he, he just we, well and and jesse ventura and predator oh yes i almost oh <laughs> i almost posted that 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 very clip um of them going in the helicopter <laughs> and talking about how he was a you know a sex sexual tennis or ter- oh my gosh t-rex like me um whatever but yeah i mean john loved little dumb things like me in those movies and we just and that was the thing about john is that we just would find the, like you guys i don't forgot who it was specifically but they said they find the joy they didn't want to suck the joy out because even in, in the midst of things that they didn't like maybe john would find the things that he did like and he'd always try to find that and i and again it was it's inspiring because a lot of today's you know, so again, someone said it earlier. I don't want to just copy them, but it's true. A lot of people's today's talking heads and YouTube and and on podcasts is just is just to rattle all these negative things off and and tear it apart and say it's this or that or this or that. And and John, for the most part, unless you know, it's every once in a while there might be a film that might really get his goat and may get really upset, but. For the most part, John would always try to find the positive in things. And but I can't think of an example, whether it's The Dark Knight Rises or The Last Jedi, where John could tear it apart, but then still spend 30 minutes talking about one scene yes. that he absolutely loved. Yes. No, exactly. And that's the thing is that he found he would always find the joy in those things. And I think that that's what's missing in today. And maybe because people don't want to hear positivity in their negativity i guess I, I don't know but but really that's what it is i mean john most people don't do that because they just you know they want to keep their facade up or whatever but john was very john was always john to the core and that's and that's why i love i love him so much is because john was always john and there's if there's one thing in this world that i treasure most in people it's authenticity and that is something that John had in spades and it's something that I value so much in people that I, I hold close to. I don't, I don't, if people come off cross fake or, or not themselves or just, they're just something seems off. I, I it's, it's hard for me to connect to them because there is something about that that is really important to me and being close to someone. And John just oozes that out. And maybe that's why we had such a close connection is because I always knew where I stood with John constantly. And when and just like we all said, he always made us feel better about ourselves, whether it be you know a professional moment, a private moment where you needed some emotional help. John would always give you the right information. There were so many times that John would give Justin and I advice on things constantly, where we would just be like, "Man, like I can't believe like someone believes in me as much as this guy does," you know. And and not that. Justin and I wouldn't believe in each other the same way, but John has had a way of making you go, man, like that's, I can't believe I didn't, I, I didn't, I'm not thinking like what you're thinking. It's crazy. It's that same thing that you just said about how he could not like a movie. I'm sorry, that was you, Sean. You said he could not like a movie, but damn, if he wasn't going to speak a lot about the one thing that he did like, it was the same with John for people. There were people who I know for a fact that John Beerley was not the biggest fan of, but I also know that he focused on the good in them and really played that up. And there was something about John that always thought that, you know what? And he never said it, but you always knew it. You know what? If, If this person can just be kind of turned on to that seed or kernel of 
I'm about to go into some Luke Skywalker tropes, um, that seed or kernel of good in them, then maybe by helping them reach that, you can bring them back and some of these negative qualities in them that I don't like would be turned around and this person would, would be happier for it. There was, there was never any selfishness about how he interacted with people, except he was selfish about making sure that people could be the best version of themselves. Well, and also, just, this is just a small little anecdote. I mean, I think uh, it's pretty safe to say that in the heyday of, of the Modern Myth Media show, we all busted each other's balls pretty well. And uh, It happened. On, in, <laughs> I pulled that's, up that's an love. old- it is. It is. Yeah. It really is. But I, I said we were family. It's true. I pulled up a, an old email thread from April of 2013. And uh, Sean is trying to schedule the podcast and we're trying to figure out, okay, what day is this? Is this work for us? What about this time? And uh, I sent off an email that says, oh, Rachel and I are going to brunch with her family. And then, of course, everybody then piles on like brunch. Why you're pretty pretentious? Why are you eating brunch with with people? What's the deal with that? That sounds like Paul Herman. <laughs> it was actually so Sean and Josh Costella jumped on it immediately. Like, there's no slack cutting and podcasting. Go big or stay the f- language. Get brunch. That's what Josh said. <laughs> and then Sean's like, "Yeah, eat your Belgian waffle and Denver omelet and shut the hell up." <laughs> And then the only way, so I was like, her family's old, cut me some slack. And then the only email on the thread from John was a self-deprecating but perfect John joke. And he just goes, last week I ate cheeseburgers for breakfast. (laughs) 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 Also, this time works for me. Let's go. I mean, it's just (laughs) like, he didn't didn't do the pile-ons, but... He still always added his voice to any interaction, you know, throw in any interaction that we had. And John always made us smile as a result. And um, I just love that guy so much. There was a, I keep, we keep calling John stories and this one's kind of recent, but it was uh, when Justin and John, I think the first time you guys came out, Justin, uh, John, you had left, um, I think the morning of like of a Sunday and Justin or excuse me, and John was leaving later on, I think in the morning that Monday. So we had the whole day just to hang out and I'll never forget that I, w- I was just talking to him and I said, John, have you ever watched the Roger Corman fantastic four movie? And he goes, no. And I said, we're doing that right now. He was like, yes. And so <laughs> we watched and it was like, it, it was a lazy Sunday. Cause I was really tired. We, we were stayed up late and ate a bunch of bad food. And I was like super exhausted. And John was too. And we, we just sat and we watched Roger Corman's fantastic four on YouTube. And I have to say it was probably one of my favorite moments in the last couple years. And I know it sounds weird, but it was because we both loved it for the same reasons and we just were laughing, but having a great time and, and like taking it seriously, but not serious. It was just a very, it, 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 to get a movie like that, you have to be on the same like kind of wavelength. And we just were, we were laughing and at the same things, we thought the same things were cool. We kept thinking, you know, saying the same things out loud. It was probably, honestly, it was probably the best podcast you'd ever heard. Like, honestly, as far as like two people just legitimately laughing, but loving and and thoughtfully talking about these things to each other. And 
it was just it was just a moment that I, I will cherish forever just because it was so silly but yet so fun and so John and I and it was it was just but again it was just again the the fact it's so ridiculous that we were having so much fun doing it it was yeah and how he was like all about we were both was all about it it was just a it was such a joyous moment and I think that again every moment that you had with him you would you would hang out and you would just feel like that joy oozing out of him and it's just yeah it's something that you can't no one has can replicate no one can and it's it's a it's an it's an amazing thing to to see it in person you also can't replicate john's travel stories so let's talk about c2e2 (laughs) (laughs) so well before i get into the main story i want to just say that when i arrived at c2e2 in chicago I, of course, saw John, and the weirdest thing about that meeting, that was the first time John and I had ever met in person. We had been podcasting together between Batman on Film and Modern Myth Media. At that point, I think we'd been podcasting together for five, five and a half years, and that was the first time that we met in person, but it just never felt like that at all, and we both noticed that and both talked about that. I don't know if, I think it was right after we met as we did our initial huge hug, like, hey, it's great to actually meet you in person. And then within five minutes, I think we were both talking to each other about how, you know, it just, it really doesn't feel like we just met because we didn't, we had no, we knew each other really well. We knew each other better than a lot of people in our daily lives might have, might uh, have known us at that point. But it was so great to finally give this guy a hug uh, and be in his presence. But I had no idea that when you're around John Beerley, you get the best stories and they go up a notch from the ones you get digitally. I mean, the, the digital ones are great, but in, there are certain things that can only happen when John Beer, to John Beerley when John Beerley travels. And while we were at C2E2, uh, I'm going to clean this up as much as possible. <laughs> Good luck. But John, <laughs> but John told us the story one morning of how he got no sleep the night before. Poor John was just, tor- was just tortured with sleep deprivation. And we were wondering what kept John Beerley awake all night. And there was a story behind that. And this predates mystery podcasts like Serial, but it could have been. It could have been the John Beerley version of that in its own day. And so John was in his room that night, and he could hear the sound of an adult film playing very, very loud. But John Beerley's room was right next to the stairwell. So it was very difficult to ascertain the source of this sound and what room it was coming from. And John had called the front desk asking for some form of relief. If somebody could help figure out where this noise is coming from and please ask whoever's enjoying that film to please just turn the volume down. But it was to no avail. John had to call again and, and because the people, they were going through different floors and they couldn't hear it. Finally, a security guard came up to John's room and John, of course, escorted the security guard to the wall in John's room where he could actually hear the noise, the wall that was up against the stairwell to hear the actual noise. And the security guard put his ear up to the wall and he says, in his words, but via the words of John Beerley, Oh, shit. (laughs) That was the security guard's response to this. And then that was that phrase was uttered several times by the security guard. 
<laughs> even as they both went into the stairwell and they could hear it even louder and they just couldn't figure it out. So it was this mystery where Detective John Beerley and his new partner, the security guard, they never found out where that noise was coming from, but it was John reenacting every move and reenacting those two key phrases, those two key utterances by the security guard that just had us dying laughing the entire time. And, but that was John Beerley. Anybody else, if, if that was me, granted, it's a funny story, and I would, have been appre- I would have been appreciative of it on that level, but I don't think I would have been as cheerful in retelling it as John Beerley was. If I had no sleep the night before, I would have been a miserable grump, and John Beerley might have been, but he didn't show it. He had the most fun he could have with that crappy situation and allowed us to have even more fun with it than he did, and that was just the kind of person that John Beerley was, and it was also just the kind of story that only John Beerley could have. There's no way, if any of us stayed in that same exact room that same exact night, we don't hear a thing. But because John Beerley was staying there, he heard what he heard, and the story was what it was, uh, and it was just amazing. And, and I know it probably means nothing to any of you who weren't there, and you're probably wondering in your car or at the gym or wherever why I spent so long telling this story. It was really funny to us, and it was something we kept coming back to uh, over and over again, every time we met up or any time we we were uh, chatting with each other, even the way he wrote it in a text, because he would occasionally <laughs> describe like mm-hmm. when he was getting ready to come out for the wedding. You know, I, I told him, "Well, I hope you don't have any problems sleeping the night before." And I would just, you know, inevitably get <laughs> in all caps, "Oh shit!" You know, S H E E I I T T. You know, it was perfect. Oh man. <laughs> I loved hearing that story. But there was a, so there was another instance too at C2E2. And I wasn't there for because he told it to me about trying to get a cab up to my place, right? <laughs> and just okay. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Justin, yeah. w- would you? I, I'm I'm vaguely remembering all I remember is the end because I was in okay, shock. Yeah. There we were long story short. We're in Chicago um, at the convention center trying to get a ride to Chris's house. And this is also, this is predating Lyft, right? Yeah. Like, Lyft was, wasn't yeah. mainstream back then. Right um, before. And so we're, we're looking for a cab. We're trying to hail a cab. And we're doing this for like 10 minutes. And somebody must have been watching us and seeing the trouble that we're having. Because this weird, suspicious looking car, and Chris, feel free to jump in if you have a different version of this story. Drives up to the four of us in front of this hotel, and this window rolls down, and this random guy says, "I'll give you a ride." <laughs> the way, so the way that John told it is that he said, "I drive you guys around." <laughs> yep. Like, oh, no, thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll drive you guys around. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Oh man, it was just too much. Um, yeah, but you know what? We don't we don't even see that guy if John Beerley's not standing. No, there. absolutely. That's all I know. Absolutely. It's it's the only thing I know that's true in the universe. Is these kinds of things only happen to John and the people that John's with? But it's worth it because you get to be with John Beerley, who was one of the greatest people who ever lived. But yeah, it was. I, I remember that weekend at C two E two. It was so much fun. And I think that's where Scott Snyder finally got to meet his hero, John Beerley, because he was down there. There was one night where we were all in the lobby, because for those of you who aren't familiar with C2E2, you have the convention center, 
which connects right to the hotel. And so we were all staying at that hotel and everyone and everyone who's a part of the convention is staying in that hotel. And so throughout the weekend, the bar, the, the crowd at the bars just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger until it, t- it spreads across the entire lobby of this hotel. And so we just so happened to be standing close to, and I looked over and there was Scott Snyder. And then John and I went over and, and talked to us. He showed us some stuff that maybe he wasn't supposed to show us of pencil sketches from zero year. And we were just having the best time. And that whole weekend from the panel that we did to the stories that happened to John that we would hear about or that we got to witness, it was all just the greatest thing. But I I think my favorite part about it is that we hadn't, even though uh, Paul wasn't able to be there, we had a big group of us there. And it just, it felt like those Friday nights and it felt like those Saturday afternoons. It didn't really feel different than that. Even though we were finally there in each other's physical presence, it just reaffirmed what we had already known, that this was a group of real friends. This was a real family that had formed throughout the course of this show to where the show isn't really what mattered. What mattered was that family that came together to talk about things that they loved. And they really had to love it because another famous story in modern myth media lore, going back to 2012, is anybody who's been with us long enough to have heard our spoiler review for the Avengers, you heard the second one. You heard the second review that was recorded immediately (laughs) after the first review for Avengers. So we had been recording for hours and hours and hours like we did. And then we finally got to the wrap-up portion of that show. And then the recording stopped and it did not save. It was gone. Or actually, it saved a file, but there wasn't a damn thing on that file. No audio, no nothing. And we did everything. We spent the next hour and a half, I think, trying to save it because we liked that show so much. and We had such a great time making it and we thought it was the best show we had done at that point and we didn't want to lose it. So we spent an hour and a half going through every different program that we could find that I could download on my computer to try and repair this file, but to no avail. And so after recording a two and a half hour podcast, and then another hour and a half of trying to save the podcast that we'd done, four hours in, we got to start the whole thing over and record our Avengers spoiler review. And I think we did an okay job because it didn't, doesn't really seem like most people notice until they're told the story behind it, that they were hearing the second run through of that Avengers spoiler review. Uh, But those were just the kind of crazy nights that we had, but we didn't care because we were all just having uh, such a good time together. Yeah, we could have used a faster and more intense direction on the second take, if I remember correctly, but that was certainly (laughs) that was certainly a long night. But, you know, I I, I remember that his exuberance was still pretty buoyant. Like, I, I feel like John's energy was still reasonably high. And we still had enough gushing in general about the movie that it was just a pleasant experience to be around everybody. And that's why we didn't care that we had spent so much time first recording a show, then trying to solve a problem and then just being like, oh, screw it. Let's just do it again. Yep. And um, I mean, I there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of people that I would. uh I would devote that much time for, especially for a podcast where we're all sitting around. We're just trying to talk about something that we like. It's not like we're getting paid for it or anything. We're just there because we love it and we loved it that much, but we also loved each other that much. 
part of what I've always loved about, you know, no matter what podcasts any of us have gone on to, they are essentially extensions of modern myth media. And one of the things I've always liked about our family doing podcasts is we will have long podcasts sometimes, but what people never hear is like the two to three hours after the podcast where we're just talking. Right. Oh, Lord, yes. Well, and, you know, it, we we go back to C2E2, but another reason that Paul was there in spirit. Uh, so I go home every year since I've lived in, in Illinois. I, I go back to Washington State to spend the holidays. Usually a couple of days after New Year's is when I'll fly back. So 13 into 14, Paul invites me and Rachel over to a New Year's Eve party that he has at his place. And uh, I remember, and I still have the video on my phone, even though it was like four phones ago, of uh, Paul doing a dance uh, when midnight struck. It's still a good dance. (laughs) I found that when I was going through things for this show, by the way. Excellent. And so, I, I I can cut a rug, man. I ain't gonna you lie. can, man. We you, we in fact did cut a rug with John at Chris's wedding. Well, that's right. Cleared out an right. entire dance floor. I'm proud of that. <laughs> no, I forgot about that. Oh, that's right. Oh my lord. So we're sitting. I think it was in the in the hotel restaurant, and uh, we're we're all just talking about how much we've been around and how long we podcasted together and the, the conversation invariably turns to Paul and how much we just wish he was there. So I pulled up that video and I showed everybody on my phone then and there before I think I sent it to everybody. And I remember just looking at Paul watching that video or John watching that video of Paul dancing and he's just like, God, I wish he was here. Aww. And, uh, I mean, it was a sentiment that we all had, but there was just something about the John Beerley delivery and punctuation that, uh, that made you feel it all the more. And that's why I remember, I think the first time you guys got to hang out together, Paul, was like Mm. 15, wasn't it? Thereabouts? Yeah. Yeah. It was weird because John and I didn't meet, again, Star Wars is special because Star Wars brought me together with Justin and John, even, you know, as, as a group John and I became closer and we didn't meet until we saw each other at celebration. And it was funny because I hadn't seen John ever in person until, I mean, obviously I've seen videos of him and pictures of him, but we saw each other and it was just kind of, I would give him a big hug, you know, and John had like the best awkward big hugs ever. Like I say awkward in an endearing way. Cause he's just, he's just kind of this gangly guy and he's kind of, ah, you know, kind of almost like Rick James Chappelle version. That's kind of what it felt like, <laughs> if that makes any sense. But that's kind of what it was like. Ah, you know, it was that's... really a big hug from a guy who wasn't that big. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was weird. And, and I say that in the best way, but it was just funny. I remember telling him, like, this is weird that I meet you now, finally, after all this time. He was like, yeah, it is a little weird. And then it became normal, like, the very second we both <laughs> acknowledged that it was weird for a second. And then we just kind of moved on. And I'll never forget because, you know, we, it was, just, I just couldn't believe it. And, we, and again, we just connect. We just were immediately just there. And we were just mega buds as, all, as always. And I'll never forget uh, Jonah Marie who we had, uh, we had saw over the last weekend as well. Uh, she had said the first time she met John was with me and John together. And I was like, Oh, what? She's like, yeah, you guys were together. And I was like, Whoa, crazy. And 
Yeah, John, and again, John was the one that was like, Jonah Marie, and, and brought her over. And I, because I, I had known her a little bit for online, but it was John who introduced me to Jonah and and our, my podcast uh, person, uh, partner as well, Saf, who I, on Blaster Cannon. I met pretty much because of John Beerley. So John, yeah, he just, he was an, uh, he was unreal when it comes to just connecting and making people and, and, and just making you, making you miss, just kind of feel the moment john had that way about him it was crazy uh, yeah and i remember the night before no it was i think it was the first night of that celebration i, I wasn't there i wasn't able to go to celebration until it came to me in chicago uh but i remember like i slept better that night knowing that paul and john finally got to hang out for the first time <laughs> like it was just like there was everything was right with the world when those two guys finally got together and uh, led to great things, obviously. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, that was, that was the weekend that I, re- that was an epiphany for me on, on so many different levels and, and, and gotten having to see, cause, cause Justin and, um, and John and I, my brother, <clears throat> we all got into the, the force awakens, force awakens panel, which we got to see the trailer together, which was a magical moment. And I remember all of us just sharing those moments together. It was just there. That was a magical weekend in so many different levels. And, and obviously, yeah. And, and Sean was there. I think you're there like either that day or the next day. I got there. Uh, I got there on Friday on, on Thursday. Cause Thursday was the day of the force awakens panel, right. I believe. And I had to work, so I couldn't get down there. I was up in LA at work watching the panel live <laughs> from work, not doing what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I got down there on Friday, and I remember when I got down there was very shortly after the Batman v Superman teaser trailer dropped. Oh yeah, and I remember all of us watching it, and I also remember our, our a good friend of ours and obviously longtime friend of Modern Myth Media and Batman on Film and everything, Jake Lane, who was there, and I remember him being the the poor one guy who really liked that teaser trailer, and the rest of us were just ripping it because we all went to dinner and we were just tearing the thing apart. But I, I remember because I was going to I always wanted to gauge it with John Beerley and see like, OK, what does he think of this? Because I always wanted to know whatever came up. I needed to know what John thought. And I was uh, I, I asked John, OK, so what did you think of the, the BVS teaser? He's like, Sean, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sean, it's weird. And that's all he could say to me. <laughs> well, wow. I mean, he he elaborated on. It. I don't remember exactly what he said. What stuck with me was him just saying it was weird. And I was like, it was, wasn't it? Um, and then you know, of course, things happened with that movie, and it went the way that it went. But anyway, uh, that weekend was just incredible because we it was kind of like C two E two, except this time Paul got to be there, and so we didn't have all we didn't have the same crew, but at least we had another big group of us that had a chance to come together and hang out a little bit. And there's pictures of us right outside the convention center of everybody just having the best time. And I, I honestly can't tell you, I mean, your guy, your guys' experience is obviously different because you got into the force awakens panel, but I can't really remember much of celebration inside the actual convention center. I don't remember that much of it. If I do any bit, I do remember of it is when we were walking around. That's what I remember. I don't really remember as much about panels or anything else. What I really remember is just hanging out with everybody and laughing and just having the best time. 
enjoying each other's company. It was just such a, uh, I don't know, it, it was just such an incredible weekend, like C2E2 was a year before. And it was, uh, you know, and, and John is a, such a huge part of the reason for that. I mean, everybody said it in so many ways throughout the course of this show, but you know, John was the centerpiece of that family. He was yeah. the glue of the family that kept bringing everybody back together because he was the one, if you wanted an update on how everyone was doing, you could ask John because he knew because he had asked them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he wasn't going to share anything about them that he wasn't supposed to share that was told to him in confidence, but at least he knew what was going on with everybody. He was the hub. And it wasn't because he defined that role for himself, that he was doing that so he could be known as that. It's just how much he genuinely cared about everyone and genuinely cared enough to make sure that he was always checking in and seeing how they were doing. And as I said at the top, for most of us, saying how are you is just this expected social norm that we don't really mean. We're not genuinely curious to how you're doing. We're just asking because it's a social nicety that we're supposed to say. And we don't expect anything back other than doing fine, doing well, whatever. And then we move on to what we actually want to talk about. With John, he really cared. How are you? How are you? And okay, fine, that's not good enough. He wants to make sure you're happy. And if you're not happy, he wanted to know why. And he would always try to give you the best advice that he could. Or sometimes it sometimes there was no advice to give, and John would just listen. And it always made you feel better just to know that someone cared enough to listen, even when they knew they couldn't help you. Some people don't want to listen when they know they can't help because they feel useless, but that wasn't John. John always gave you an ear, and he always gave you 100% of his heart, and that's what made uh, that's what made him so special, and that's why he meant so much to all of us, and will continue to mean so much to all of us. I um, I, I, I put in, because... In, we're we're recording using Skype right now, so I, I put in the uh, chat log just now a picture that I'm so glad that our wedding photographer managed to capture of John's hug, and I think the picture and I've shared it elsewhere. It's in the um, the little memorial that I I wrote to John uh, that's on my website, but I've also just been sharing it everywhere because I love this picture so much, and I feel like it really does capture it because. It is deceptively big, and uh, I mean he he gets he gets the full wingspan uh, around yeah. you and just pulls you in into a very tight embrace, and you could almost like the 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 occasion of of my wedding was such a joyful day for so many different reasons, but he was a big part of the joy that I felt that day, and you could see in this picture where he and I are hugging. I mean, you could hear his smile, you yeah. know? I mean, that's that's not something that you can attribute to an abundance of people, but you hear his smile. He and I are, are talking in the picture, and we just have this hug. And, I mean, he was such a, a wonderful friend, and having, I mean, having everybody that we had at our wedding was really important, but the fact that he made a trip, that's not an easy trip to make. Uh, I mean... Paul, you just took that trip, you know, effectively the same trip that he did. And I mean, he had to drive to Louisville, he had to fly over to Seattle. He stayed with you uh, just so that he could be there on a day that was important to me. And having him there 
was just such having all you guys of course but now especially in in hindsight and in retrospect having him there means so much and i'm so glad that this moment was captured uh because it just it's it it exemplifies that love that he felt for his friends i think that whenever you were drawn into a hug like that uh you you felt it and you heard it in in more ways than one and um you definitely heard the back adjustment <laughs> yeah, yeah right that would fix you better than a, an elbow to the back in an underground prison that helps you make the climb in that movie john hayes <laughs> it was uh it was remarkably effective uh, if bruce wayne was able to feel that hug then he wouldn't have been nearly as mad by the time he got back to gotham <laughs> that's true that's true he would have been uh, he would have been healed much much faster. You and came back to die. No, <laughs> I came back to get a hug from John Beerley. <laughs> oh man, you know what? There's uh, there's a bit about the Dark Knight Rises that I don't actually agree with John's take. You're going exactly where I was going to go. Please continue. But I I certainly will always love the impression, and that is. Jim Gordon discovering the identity of Batman. <laughs> Bruce Wayne! As John Beerley would always put it, to take that dig at Dark Knight Rises, which yep. is not what Jim Gordon did, but whatever. Yep. Fair is fair. We hashed that argument out many, many times. But John and I, we, we never really agreed on the Dark Knight Rises, but we tended to agree more often than not on the things that we love. And I, I think it's because... John and I and, and everyone here and, and every and many who are not here that we've podcasted with over the years that everybody just approaches this from a place of love. And maybe we're not as nice or as kind as John Beerley in the way we go about it. That's because it's an impossible standard for anyone to live up to. But it's the things we love that bring us together. And it's someone we love very much, John Beerley, who brought us together again, even on a sad occasion last week at his funeral to say goodbye to him, but also brought us back together for this show tonight. There hasn't been a podcast with this kind of group assembled in years, but it wasn't hard to put this podcast together. Chris, you joked about that email. And yes, scheduling the Modern Myth Media podcast, which quite often had five or six hosts for some reason, because we thought that was a good idea, <laughs> because we all just wanted to hang out, uh, which now I would never, ever do. But that's what we were doing for years on the show. And scheduling was always the worst part of it, trying to go across different time zones, including Brad off in Australia. And speaking of time zones, John Beerley, whether it was having to re-record a podcast or just hanging out for the three-hour post-show session, John barely worked on Saturday mornings, and he was three hours ahead when we were recording on Friday nights, and he stuck around till the very end. And he would complain about how little sleep he was about to get, but he didn't care, ultimately. And he would say, I gotta go to bed, I gotta go to bed, I gotta go to bed. And nobody was forcing him to stay on the Skype call, <laughs> other than John yep. wanted to stick around. <laughs> And so, yeah, scheduling was was always a pain, but scheduling this show was not. As soon as I asked these guys, uh, told them what this show was going to be about, uh, I didn't even have to suggest an alternate time. The original time that I had to just throw out there to, to get this recorded, uh, everybody immediately agreed. And that's because of uh, that's just a small piece of how much John really meant to everybody. So before we wrap up, it's not that there's ever going to be a time 
where we share our last thoughts on John Beerley. He's going to be with us and in our hearts forever. Uh, but for the purposes of this show, gentlemen, any uh, any last words about John? I um I said at the at the top that I that he he just did a lot for me. Um, and the one thing I keep coming back to uh, over the course of the last almost two weeks now is that I am beyond happy that my last words to John were, I love you. I, that's, that's pretty much wrecked me a couple of times, but in the, in the best way. Um, yeah, that's, that's the one thing I keep coming back to as far as my relationship with him. If, if I was going to say anything to him, that's what I would have chosen to say. So, uh, you know, no one expected John to pass away. I, I just consider myself incredibly fortunate that my, the last thing I was able to tell my friend um, is that I loved him because he was very deserving of that love and I miss him terribly. It's hard to put into words a, a last word about, you know, or on, on something like this, obviously. And echoing what, what Justin said, it was uh, I, the impact John Beerley had on all of us, and including me, will, will forever be felt. And I'll never not think about him. I think about him constantly still. And the impact he had on me and my wife and this, our, our love for him. And I, you know, yeah, I, it's, I can't put into words, you know, but that John was my brother. I loved him. I will always love him. And I'll, I miss him incredibly a lot. I, Justin said it best, I think, just in terms of gratefulness. Yeah. I am extraordinarily grateful that, that our lives overlapped and crossed paths. You know, I mean, the earth is four and a half billion years old and the, the, the odds of, of meeting someone that you first laugh with, then like, then respect, then love, then all of those things combining together. I mean, the, John Beerley was one of the single most exceptional human beings that I have ever had the good fortune to encounter in my life. And, um, you know, we're all, we're all terribly heartbroken by the fact that he's not here, but he leaves behind within each of us and the hundreds and hundreds of people that he touched all over the world, literally all over the world, with a legacy of love and a legacy of just a high caliber because of the kind of person that he was and it's really hard i don't need to tell you guys i mean it's really hard to to close the book on not just this friendship but this man it's it's hard to imagine that that his light has been extinguished but that's why we have to remember that we were so fortunate to cross paths with him and we were so fortunate to be touched by his kindness and it sucks that the story is over and there's not going to be another new page written but the fact that we all have such a repository of interactions of memories of laughs uh sometimes of crying 
um, that we were all able to share with him and that he was able to share with us. I feel extraordinarily privileged to have known John. Uh, and, you know, our, our time together is defined by words, but finding the words is extraordinarily difficult to just exemplify the strength and the gravity and the intricacy of who he was. Words don't often fail me or any of us, I don't think, but they certainly do when trying to just communicate how grateful and fortunate we all are for having known him. Words, words don't do it justice. And it's going to take a long time for us to, to process exactly what's happened. But in a way, that's a good thing because we feel the weight of his absence. We always will. And even though his active light is gone, he's still brightened up all of our lives. And like we all have said, I mean, love him and miss him. The words aren't enough. I think we've said a lot of wonderful things about John on this podcast, but you can keep going and we could do a four hour man of steel review followed by another four hour man of steel review. Cause that happened one time too. <laughs> <laughs> we could do all of that about John Beerley and it still wouldn't be enough. It still wouldn't measure up to the person that he was to all of us and he, that he was to so many. And the only thing I would check on, on you, Chris is your math just knowing the numbers of the podcast. It was the, in the various podcasts that I've done with John, and I presume for Forcecast as well. It's thousands of people who heard the words of John Beerley. And I know in my, in my experience as well that the amount of people that you actually hear from in social media is a small percentage of the people who are actually feeling that way mm -hmm. and yeah. who just haven't reached out either because they're not able to or they don't yet know or whatever it is. There's no doubt in my mind that John Beerley, that his light reached and shined on thousands of people all over the world. And that's where he gets to live on in this little way, in this little corner of the internet that we have and that he got to be such an important part of. John Beerley made the most of it as he did with everything, with everything he wrote, whether it was for Impact Magazine or Batman on Film or a cheeseburger review on Modern Myth Media. <laughs> or anything else he posted over on johnbeerley.com. His words, his voice reached so many people and touched so many hearts. And I think it was easy for him to do that because everything he did, he put all of his heart into it. And that was apparent in the things he said, in the things he wrote. And as I said earlier on the show, I'm a better person because I got to know John Beerley. And he inspired me to be a better person, whether he knew it or not, or whether he would accept it when I would tell him things like that, because John would think you were already good enough and you didn't need any help from him, but you did, and he helped, and it mattered, and it meant a lot, and it meant a lot to so many of us, and John was just an extraordinary human being, and ever since I found out that he was gone, it's been so hard for me to accept that a person like that is gone. And maybe it's because in some ways a person like that can't ever really be gone. In the way that he touched so many lives, the lives he touched will go on to touch more lives and more lives, and they will pay his kindness forward 
in so many different ways, in ways that we may realize now and may be able to imagine today and other, other ways tomorrow and in the years to come that we won't be able to imagine. And I, I think that's just the kind of impact that John had. It was an honor to know him. It was an honor to count him among my friends and as part of my family. He brought so much joy to my life, and he was there for me in the moments that weren't as joyous, and he helped see me through those moments as he did for everyone here and and even, as I said before, people who are not here. John Beerley was just the best of us. He really and truly was. I don't say that because he's gone. It's not the kind of thing you inflate because somebody's gone and you want to say the nicest thing you can. I already said that stuff about John Beerley before he was gone. I said that stuff while he was here, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I ever said it directly to him, and I should have, but I know that if I did, he would have laughed it off, and he would have gone right back to telling me how great he thought I was and how great he thought the rest of us were, because that's just who John Beerley was. He was never going to take all the credit that he deserves, but he deserves so much in the the role he played in all of our lives. I love John Beerley. I'm going to miss John Beerley. I'm so happy that I, I'm sad that I didn't, we only texted after that last episode of Fandalorians and I was scrolling back through that conversation as we were recording here. I'm sad that the last time I ever actually spoke to him was for that last episode. But if there's any consolation in that, it's that I have a recording of the last conversation I had with one of the best friends that I have ever had and will ever have in my entire life. John Beardley meant a lot to me. He meant a lot to, to all of us. And I thank all of you for listening, whether you were with us from the beginning and you knew who John was, or you're just now, dis- or you just discovered John through a couple of appearances on this podcast, on the Avengers Endgame spoiler review, or through Fandalorians, or wherever you found John. Or if that name only sounded kind of familiar, but you had no idea who we were talking about at the top of the show, if you made it this far, thank you so much for letting us tell you about our friend. He was one of the all-time greats, and we're re- we love him, and we're really going to miss him. And what I want to do now to close out this show is play for you just some of my favorite moments. It's not a top 10 list or anything like that. Just some of my favorite moments from John from the Modern Myth Media podcast, from Marvel Studios News, as well as Fandalorians. But one thing that I want to leave you with before we go into those clips is something that I don't have a clip of because a lot of those recordings are very old and some of them are lost in the ether forever. But there's one thing that John Beerley said on a podcast that he also wrote or wrote in so many words that I want to go ahead and I want to share with you. So part of the reason why I invited John to be on our Avengers Endgame spoiler review last year is because, as I mentioned before, John's one of the best pod John's the best podcaster among us or so I thought and I wanted that show to be as great as it could be I wanted it to be as special as it could be so of course I wanted John to go ahead and join that show but I also wanted to bring him on because back in 2012 when we were just starting to learn that Joe and Anthony Russo were on the shortlist to direct Captain America the Winter Soldier most of us had no idea who they were or why Marvel Studios would want the guys from Community and Arrested Development to direct the Captain America sequel. And this is what John said at the time. This is what he wrote at the time on Modern Myth Media, and he said as much effectively on a podcast that I don't have the audio from 
But here's what John wrote. And remember, this is when the Russo brothers were on the shortlist. They hadn't even been hired yet. The wild cards here are the Russo brothers. Anthony has directed 24 episodes of NBC's Community, including Foosball and Nocturnal Vigilantism, in the third and current season. The Annie-Troy-Abed story heavily involved The Dark Knight and featured the return of Abed as Batman, while the Jeff Shirley foosball plot shifted into outrageous anime segments that were wildly imaginative and hilarious. Basic Rocket Science found the study group trapped in a mock spaceship. Remedial Chaos Theory explored six alternate realities. Joe's 19 community episodes include The Pilot, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, and the instantly classic two-parter, A Fistful of Paintballs, and For a Few Paintballs More. These are some pretty crazy half hours of television with lots of humor and tons of heart, making me very interested in what these guys could do if turned loose on, if turned loose on a big-budget superhero film. The Russo brothers also directed multiple episodes of Arrested Development, including its pilot, which never ceased to astound me with its visual and comedic creativity. Their feature films, Welcome to Collinwood and You, Me, and Dupree, may not have any action or adventure, but their body of work is brimming with wit, energy, innovation, and variety. That's what John said about the Russo brothers. He knew before any of us did, the only person who could match John John Beerley's eye for directorial talent is Kevin Feige and company at Marvel Studios. It's those guys, and it's John Beerley. They knew before we did, and that's why I wanted John to be on that show. So once again, we leave you with the words of John Beerley across various podcasts, things he said about Marvel, things he said about other things. Thank you so much for listening. For Justin, Chris, and Paul, I'm Sean. Here's John Beerley. I really liked it a lot, too. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat as I can't believe a Thor movie actually happened. Um, I remember, I mean, when I, when I was a teenager, the, uh, the Thor appearance in uh, The Incredible Hulk Returns, where Eric Allen Kramer played <laughs> Thor. And, 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 this, and this is cool. I, I, I spent 12 years writing for a British movie magazine called Impact. And uh, when the Ang Lee Hulk movie came out, I did a Bill Bixby retrospective and interviewed all kinds of people who had worked with him, including Eric Allen Kramer, who played Thor in that Hulk movie. And such a nice guy, and he told all kinds of great stories about the making of the film. That interview is on my website at John Beerley, B-I-E-R-L-Y dot com. And, Same uh, with plug you know, alert. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> sorry, sorry. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I went out and I bought a rubber mallet, and I, <laughs> I, drilled, I drilled a hole in the handle, and in the hole wrapped a leather cord through it. So I had, like, you know, like the leather cord that Thor uses, you know, and I swung it around a few times, and, you know, like the Ewok in Return of the Jedi, I hit myself in the face with it once. You, did, you ever, did you ever say, For Asgard? I'm, I guarantee that I did. I, I guarantee <laughs> that I did. You know, so, I mean, I was, I was a huge Thor fan. I loved the comics, and. I loved that movie. I still love that movie, even though it's low budget and especially, you know, the special effects and things are obviously low budget. It's heart was in the right place, but to have like a full out balls to the wall Thor movie is just unbelievable to me. And I'm, I'm, I, I just, I, I enjoyed it a lot. There were, there were lots of little things that I had problems with, but as a whole, I thought it was fantastic. Chris Hemsworth, is one of those guys who steps off the bus a movie star. Yes. And he yeah. is fantastic in this. We can talk, you know, we can talk about the casting and everything later. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And I can't wait to see it again uh, tomorrow. 
That was a clip from episode nine of the Modern Myth Media podcast, which was part one of our Thor roundtable review. And I think you can actually hear Paul Herman falling in love with John Beerley at that point. Now, here's John in part two of that Thor roundtable review, episode 10 of the Modern Myth Media podcast. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I thought the, it, it moved at a very nice pace. It was, it was a lot of fun. And when it was funny, it was legitimately so. Right. Um, you know, Marvel made a very hymns worthwhile choice in the casting in the casting of Worth as Thor. I've been waiting to use that for two hours, guys. Come on. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I thought, you know, it's like I said, you know, Hemsworth is one of those guys who I think, I, you know, like I said in part one of the podcast, one of those guys who steps off the bus, a fully fledged movie star, right? And the charisma and the charm and the power. You believed, you believed that this guy, you believed that this guy was Thor. I mean, this, he was Thor, and Hiddleston was amazing as Loki. I love the, the brotherly um, relationship between the two, and I just, I, I had a lot of fun. And I'm kind of the same way as Paul. I can't believe that, I can't believe that this movie actually got made. You know, yeah. it's just, it, it's one of those things where you feel like, well, Thor was always probably going to be in the Avengers, but you know, how would his own solo film come across and I think uh, I think they really honored it they honored the character very well they picked the things that were most important from lots of different comic book storylines and I felt like they really streamlined things really well and uh, I had I had a ton of fun uh, I, I, I saw it once at that midnight showing I'm going again uh, tomorrow with my parents for uh, for Mother's Day oh nice um, so uh, you know, my, my, the reason I'm into all the superhero stuff is, you know, my parents, when I was a kid, I was raised on a steady diet of Star Wars and Christopher Reeve Superman by my parents who love that stuff just as much as I do. So, uh, so they said, we're going to check out Thor again tomorrow. I can't wait to share that with them. And, uh, yeah, I just absolutely, absolutely loved it. There are a few things I would have changed the Sif relationship. I think they should have built that up a little bit more, um, but, you know, overall, I felt like it balanced a lot of really fantastical elements and sold them in a way that was very believable and natural and fun. So, yeah, it's it, Marvel should be proud of this one. And I cannot wait to see Hemsworth go toe to toe with some of these other actors in the Hulk. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hulk well, versus Thor. Yes. But, you know, when, when you have a guy, when you have a guy like Robert Downey Jr., Yet, by God, better hope that the other actors who are going to be working with him can match his right. screen magnetism and his screen presence and his, and his charisma. And they have they have definitely got that guy with Chris Hemsworth. So, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, loved it. During those Thor clips, you heard John mention Superman the movie. Well, here's John talking a lot more about Superman the movie during a retro roundtable review we did for that film just a few months after those Thor review episodes were recorded. And this week's topic is going to be the long-awaited, eagerly anticipated Modern Myth Media Roundtable for that little indie film from 1978, Richard Donner's Superman the Movie. <laughs> just when I was about to pipe in that music, John just supplies it by himself. Huh? That, saves me, that saves me time. Stick a quarter in me and I'll perform the whole movie right now. <laughs> Well, you know, there were there were two movies that absolutely ruled my childhood. One was Star Wars and the other was Superman the movie. It's funny, I remember I clearly remember seeing Star Wars at 
the drive-in and the double feature was with uh, Silva Streak with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. I only wonder how my life might have turned out differently if I had latched on to Silver Streak instead of uh, <laughs> Star Wars. But that primed me very much for um, for Superman. And, um, oh my God, I mean, it just blew me away as a kid. You know, I mean, I think I think Star Wars kicked open that door in 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 my in my in my heart for imagination and heroes and superman just just wrote it right on right on through and it was so easy to you know relate to christopher reeve's superman i mean you just it was it was just so perfect in that role and i i just i don't don't remember i was i was so little at the time i don't necessarily remember the first time that i would have seen the movie but i do remember running around our house in a superman t-shirt with this huge belt on and i think it was my mother's belt because it was this big huge brown belt that i thought that's the only (laughs) belt in the house that's big enough to be superman's belt and uh and uh thermal underwear like long underwear long john pants and uh a towel pinned around my <laughs> neck and, and in my heart I was Superman I mean there are there are lots of embarrassing pictures of me in the towel which uh, I think the only I would only wear the pink towel because it was the closest color that we had to, to, to red we didn't have any red towels so the only one I could find that was close enough to red was was pink and that's what my three or four year old mind was putting together it's okay this is close enough to red this will do and uh, and yeah it was uh, it just totally totally blew me away and and still still does Every bit of the majesty and adventure and romance and wit and charm of this film can be heard in every note of that score. It's absolutely my favorite film score of all time. And it's one of those things where, you know, you, you, you hear arguments about, you know, Man of Steel, Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Should it use the John Williams theme? No, you know, they need to come up with their own thing. Then again, on the other hand, you think there's no way in the world anybody is ever going to come close to to that theme something that's that recognizable and powerful i just um i just don't know how they're going to do it and uh, you know again i'm in the camp that thinks yeah i mean yeah that it needs to have its own score it needs to be its own thing but then on the other hand you think how in god's name is anybody going to top what john williams did john always said that one of his favorite episodes that we ever recorded on the modern myth media podcast was a breaking bad retrospective that he and I recorded together once the series had ended. It was outside the scope of the superheroes, science fiction, and Star Wars that we normally discussed on the MMM podcast, but we just really liked the show and wanted to talk about it together. So here are some of John's thoughts on Breaking Bad. Well, I was a huge fan of The X-Files. I loved The X-Files. And one of the things that comes with, uh, with being a television nerd like I am is that I'm a nerd about who wrote and directed the episodes. Uh, one of my favorite writers and eventually directors on the X-Files was Vince Gilligan. There was always a certain really sharp, dark wit and humor to his episodes. Didn't matter how weird or scary the premise was, there was always a little bit of an undercurrent of, of dark humor and just real intelligence in the writing. He did one of my absolute favorite episodes, uh, which is in the seventh season of the X-Files, where He's this, this guy who works at a um, storage unit place, finds, a, finds this rolled-up rug in a storage unit, and when he unrolls it, there's a genie in it. So he takes the genie home, and he and his idiot brother 
get their wishes from the genie. And you have to be very careful because whatever you wish for, she grants it very literally. And it was just, it's just, it was just an absolutely whimsical and hilarious episode. So for me, when I heard that Vince Gilligan had a new show coming to television, that's, that's, Vince Gilligan was, that was the only two words I needed to hear. You know, I, I, I was super curious to see what it is that, that he was going to do next. Uh, obviously was pretty intrigued by the fact that uh, you know, you've got a high school chemistry teacher who's going to be making meth to provide for his family. And obviously, you know, what starts out maybe as a, yeah, uh, this is going to be a brief, brief thing. Bad decisions will be made and they'll keep going longer than they should. And things are just going to get out of control. I thought Vince Gilligan is going to nail that out of the park. I was also a huge Seinfeld fan. So even before Malcolm in the Middle, I knew of Brian Cranston from Seinfeld, where he played Jerry's smarmy, sleazy dentist, um, Tim Watley. I, w- I will always uh, remember the episode where Jerry goes to the dentist to get some type of procedure done, and they, they put him under. And when he comes out of his anesthesia, he sees Tim Watley and the, the female dental assistant putting their clothes back on. <laughs> And and Jerry can't remember. He's like, when I went in there, was my shirt tucked in or was it not? Because his shirt his shirt is not tucked in when he comes to, and he can't remember if they you know included him and <laughs> they were doing or not. It was fantastic. So you know, all of those things together, you know, we're like, okay, I I, I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see what the show is going to be like. And watch the first episode. Really, really liked it a lot. Um, probably watched, I might've gotten up to maybe, I think the third episode and it was, it was really busy at that time and I missed an episode and then I missed two episodes and then suddenly I was just way far behind and just, and just didn't have time to get back to it. So when the first, when the second season came out on Blu-ray, I bought the first and second seasons together, and at the time uh, I would uh, I had this this little cheap cheesy workout machine called a gazelle, and I would you know I would just set the gazelle up in my living room and watch an episode of Breaking Bad every morning before I'd go to work and go on the gazelle. So I went through the the first and second seasons. Um, most 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 of the first season, all of the second on Blu-ray, and then that had me caught up to where I was able to watch the third season as it aired on AMC, and then watch the show, you know, live every week on AMC after that. So, so really for me, it was uh, it was it was difficult in a way to do it that way because you get so used to being able to watch one episode a day mm-hmm. on Blu-ray, and you're like, all right, you know. Oh man, you know something crazy and outrageous would happen, and you were only a day away from from seeing what happened next. Or there were a couple of instances where I ended up watching two a day because like, it's well, I can't stop now because this is <laughs> crazy and awesome and powerful. And uh, it was a very harsh reality when you know the third season began to air and you had to wait a week between episodes, and then you know with the way AMC kind of stretched out the run of the show there were it was a longer and longer time each time between between seasons and those waits were just the most brutal in the world which is which is you know a pretty 
that's exactly what you want to show to do. You really want those 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 season breaks to really just blow you away and leave you in complete turmoil until the new season starts because that's that's the mark of great television. And as I have told many people over the years, as I've watched the show and tried to turn as many people onto it as I could, you know, this was always for the entire duration it was on. It was my favorite, you know, my favorite show on on television. So good. I mean, the writing and the acting were just were just on a different level. And that's not to say that you know uh, there's anything wrong with any of the other shows that I love. You know, Justified or you know any you know any of the shows that I'm really really crazy about. It's all great stuff. But Breaking Bad, there was something very unique about it. It was just like this perfect storm of writing and acting and characters and concept that just came together in this really explosive and unpredictable way. The mark of a great TV show is something that you can't stop thinking about, you can't stop talking about. Right. And throughout the course of, you know, Breaking Bad's existence, that's that was always like the go-to show for me. People would be like, "John, what's your you know, what what are you watching on TV or what you know like you know, what TV shows do you like?" The first thing that I would say would be Breaking Bad. It's amazing. You have to check it out. You have to watch it. And uh, just this this past week, my friend Melissa, who I had turned her on to the show, and she sent me an email the other day. She's like, hey, can you please give me a list of all the X-Files episodes that Vince Gilligan wrote? <laughs> wow. Because she's going to go, go on Netflix and, like, and check out uh, some, of the, some of the X-Files episodes that Vince Gilligan wrote. Uh, I would absolutely recommend the episode Drive. I believe it's the second ep- episode of season six. Written by Vince Gilligan and guest starring uh, this uh, this uh, guy named Brian Cranston. So check check that out. It was one of the I, I I think Vince Gilligan had said at one point that working with Brian Cranston on that episode was one of the things that um, you know he knew that when Breaking Bad came around that Cranston was his man. Even though as it was revealed this past week, some of AMC's initial casting ideas for the show were Matthew Broderick as Walter White or John Cusack as Walter White because they thought they needed a big star. And luckily, uh, luckily that did not pan out, and Vince Gilligan got his first choice of Brian Cranston in the role because I'd really kind of rather not try to imagine the whole thing with uh, any anybody else but uh, but Brian Cranston. It was just it was a it was a wonderful it was a wonderful ride. Brilliantly acted, brilliantly written and directed, beautifully shot, mm. and uh, you know, I uh, I will I will I will miss it a great deal, and I look forward to seeing, you know, how it will you know inspire inspire other shows, inspire other shows in the future. Now let's get back to John's thoughts on the Thor franchise with clips from our Thor: The Dark World roundtable review, just several weeks after that Breaking Bad episode. I went. I took my dad last night, and we went to a 3D showing. Which you know, for those of you who the reason one of the reasons I wanted to go to the 3D showing is I wanted to see the Captain America, the extended Captain America preview, Yeek. which was completely awesome. Everything Sean said about that elevator fight was just spot on. It's unbelievable. I won't spoil anything, but there's there's a gimmick in the fight that makes things harder for Cap than than just fighting a bunch of guys. And the way he gets around the gimmick is is really cool. It's exhilarating. It's fantastic. Uh, but that being said, I think I would advise everybody to not you know not not see this extended cap thing. Wait and experience that 
in in the theater in April when, when when you see it for the first time. As for the wow. movie itself, ooh ooh, get the guy with the sword! I loved that bit. I loved our scene. <laughs> I tell you, you know, you, you you go and see these movies, and you know, you've got all these Avengers, and you know, kids. You ask, you ask any, you know, any any time, you know, my little, you know, my little cousins or my friends' kids. I'm like, oh, you know, do you like the Avengers? Yeah. Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite? And the kids are always excited to talk about. Oh, I, I want to be Captain America. I want to be Iron Man. I want to be the Hulk. I want to be Thor. I want to be Intern. I don't think that was special effects. When when Darcy makes out with that guy, I think that's actually what happens when you make out with Kat Dennings. You do get dragged through time and space. And and when you come out on the other side, you're a better man than you were before. Um, uh, She was so funny. And that's I I think that's one of the things I liked about the movie so much is that, you know, as you guys have said so far, it's very it's very entertaining. And it is an extremely entertaining movie. Um there are there there were there were parts of the pacing that I felt like may have been a bit off. I feel I feel like Thor's Frigga, you know, Frigga, of course, absolutely, you know, Renee Russo is absolutely incredible. I feel like her, as, as beautiful as her funeral was, uh, I kind of felt like it, it it didn't have as much of an impact maybe as I had as I had wanted. As much as I loved Thor when we talked about it on episodes nine and ten of the podcast uh, when Thor came out uh, in the in the years since, I've come to love that film more and more and more. I watch it all the time. I just, I just, I love it a little more every time I watch it. And I love how you know when Thor, we we first see Thor striding through the the hall with all the warriors. He throws his hammer up in the air and he winks at his mom. And and yeah. to me, that was just like a great little moment between them. And I don't think I I felt anything in this one that was quite as connecting between those two as I did from that little wink in the first one. So I was a little disappointed, maybe in the way that the that her death was, was, was kind of rushed past maybe maybe just a little bit too much. Um, but that being said, I, I, I really did like the movie. Uh, there were some things that I think I remember saying back at the time that I hope that for the Thor sequels that Thor never comes back to Earth. Let Thor come back to Earth for Avengers movies, but for his sequels, send him out into the Nine Realms. And they did a pretty good job in this one of sending it out in, into the other realms. But I did feel that bringing it back to Earth for the finale for yet another cataclysmic universe ending event yeah. where there's a hole in the sky it's, and bad yeah. things, you know, to me that was just, I, I, I thought the ending was extremely weak. Um, it was fun in the way that they did the physics of you fall in a hole, you're in London, and the next second you're in one of the realms. I mean, that was that was cool, and they did some neat things with it. But I think the movie would have been a lot more fun if Thor had taken everybody. Jane, Dr. Selvig, Darcy. Can you imagine Selvig, crazy naked Selvig, and, <laughs> and Darcy and Jane following Thor on an adventure into one of the other realms where, because there was nothing to me that was, that was as cool as the battle in the village at the beginning with all of these different, you know, crazy looking creatures and guys in this, in this like medieval space village. That was to me was just awesome. And that gave me more of a sense of wonder than anything in the finale. But that being said, loved the action. There's some incredible action in this. Uh, Loved a lot of the character stuff. The, God, the Captain America cameo was oh my God. fantastic. That was yep. so great. That was oh. so great. Uh, love, love Chris Evans. So yeah, there was a lot of really good stuff in there. Um, I just felt like you know this. It, the first Thor started that trend with really embracing the the kookiness of the fact that these Norse gods were they're actually space people from a, a magical city 
in this guy. I just think that's fantastic. And this movie really took us deeper into the, the craziness of what the Nyan realms are. And it just gives this whole other, this whole other bit of, of, of magic to, to mythology, to the way it presents how these things, every, everything you can imagine from mythology and fairy tales all exists. It's all out there in space somewhere, and it can all be navigated by our hero Thor, I love the ending where you know Thor is basically you know saying, "Look, I I will I will defend the realm. I will I will keep the name of Asgard. You know I will do everything to protect the people and the name of Asgard. But I can't do it sitting in this chair. I have to go out and do it on my own. And it just gives you such a sense of adventure that Thor is going to keep going, going out there and adventuring through the other realms. And that's and that's what I really want to see see more of. Don't. Don't keep coming back to Earth to stop some world, yet another world-ending threat. Save that stuff for the Avengers. Let Thor be a bigger part of Thor's world, and you do that through the other realms. And that's what I hope to see from the sequel. Not saying that it made me like dislike this film. I, like I said, I had a great time watching this one, but uh, I think that I would have liked it a little more if it hadn't, uh, if it had had a better threat, and hadn't ended up with a fairly Fairly lame Earth Earth ending. In May 2015, there was a film that was so special we had to discuss it, even if it was a little outside the scope of what we usually discussed on the MMM podcast. Here's John on Mad Max Fury Road during a spoiler review that he and I recorded with our friend Robert Reinecke, who also hosted the Swamp Things podcast with John Beerley, as I mentioned during the show. Also, Robert was nice enough to have us on his Still Watching the Skies podcast recently, where we got to discuss Masters of the Universe. But here's John on Mad Max Fury Road. Well, not only is there nothing else like it out there right now, I'm afraid there may never be anything like it again. The Very whole movie, true. The whole movie feels like it's something that just slipped through the cracks. That mm-hmm. how in the world did they get away with with not only getting this thing made, but getting it into theaters as is. It is a blistering, visceral opera of guts, gas, grime, but underneath it all is true goodness. There is, you know, to to build on, on what Robert had said, there is so much character work and so much thematic work. The action, obviously, is incredible, but it has so much heart and there's just so much courage on display in this in this mm-hmm. in this film i did not expect that much truly superb character work to come from a movie that is just so there's just so much mayhem and and chaos but it's all it's all very uh very all, all of that stuff is very focused on the on the storytelling and that's where this movie really really succeeds it's it's uh it's it's one of a kind it's one of a kind. It's um, uh, a high water mark for the franchise, and certainly uh, a high water mark for films in 2015. And I just I hate to I'd hate to be any action movie coming out <laughs> coming yeah. out after this. It's 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 really it's really really impressive. Could yeah. not uh, I can't I can't say enough about it. The trailers made it look like it was a ton of fun. I went into the movie expecting a ton of fun. And was totally unprepared for, again, the amount of incredible character work 
that was on display the the character arcs and the courage that we got to see from from you know from so many of the characters it was really really unexpected i expected to like it i expected to have fun but i don't know if i was expecting it to be as as truly good as uh, as it was this is this is a very rare piece of filmmaking and you know i hope it's something that uh, I, hope, I hope we see a lot more of this and i hope that the audience reaction to this the overwhelming love for this film lets movie studios know that hey we can take some chances and we can do some different things and we can go against the formula a little bit and you know don't be afraid to take the chances that this film takes and the sad thing is this film isn't isn't really it's not taking any chances it's just being what it is Mm -hmm. and what it is is something that's that's very very good on on every level and uh, we are we are all the better for it a few months after that Mad Max Fury Roadshow in October of 2015, John Beerley made his first ever appearance on the Marvel Studios News podcast. Of course, then it was called Making Mine Marvel. John joined me to discuss the news that Taika Waititi was in talks to direct Thor Ragnarok. And in these clips, you'll get a chance to hear John talk about why he was excited about the Russo brothers. I don't have the original audio from when John was happy that the Russo brothers were on the shortlist for a Captain America sequel, but you can hear him recap his thoughts in these clips but you can also hear why he's so excited about Taika. And you can also hear him say some things that actually came true as far as what he wanted from Thor Ragnarok. Have a listen. And to go back a little bit to why I was so convinced that the Russo brothers were the guys for the job, is even though that the the list for directors for Captain America, the Winter Soldier included guys who had, I think there was a co-writer on, on the Bourne films, you had uh, George Nolfi, who had done the Adjustment Bureau. There were a lot of a lot of thrillers in there, a lot of action guys in there, and then you had the guys from Community. Now, having watched a lot of Community and loved Community, I knew two things about Community. Number one, it was it was very intelligent. It had a lot of heart, and there was a lot of variety in the types of things that the Verusos that the Russo brothers had directed on Community paintball stuff. There was an episode with anime elements, and it just all of it was just presented in a way that was just so effortless. And you have to be really intelligent and you have to have a lot of, a lot of heart to be able to, I think, take, take something that's that, take elements that are that disparate and throw them together and make something, and make something that works. And I just thought, man, you give those guys a, a big movie budget and turn them loose on a char- character like Captain America, I want to see what that is. I want to see what they, what they come up with. And I've always felt that really good humor even though even humor that sometimes comes across as dumb peewee's big adventure that's one of my top five movies of all time comes to mind as a good example of a movie that on its surface looks kind of dumb but if you pay attention to what's going on it's extremely smart it's extremely smart in the way that it presents its silliness that comes from the way tim burton directed it from the way paul rubens and the late great phil hartman wrote the screenplay um, Taika Watiti to me is someone who is in that same that exact same wheelhouse. You look back on the stuff that he's done, episodes of Flight of the Concords. He has a movie called Boy from 2010 that is delightful. It's wonderful. It's about this little boy in New Zealand in 19, 1984 who is completely obsessed with Michael Jackson's Thriller video, <laughs> and 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 he imagines all of these 
just has this kind of imaginary world that he that he retreats into. And if you look at the way if you look at the way the imaginary sequences are presented, if you look at the way a lot of the music videos and music is incorporated into episodes of Flight of the Concords, you see a lot of stuff that's done very in a way that's very clever and obviously done on a shoestring budget, but it works because it has intelligence and it has heart and it has humor behind it. And I think it takes somebody very intelligent to be able to present those kinds of things on a small budget mm. and make it and make it work. So again, when I <laughs> if I had seen a list of Thor directors and Taika Waititi had been on the list with a bunch of guys who were certified experts in action, in fantasy, in science fiction, in space exploration, whatever, I would have like, oh, let's let's go with this guy because he's different, because he's coming from a different angle. And that's 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 what drew me to the idea of the Russo brothers doing Captain America. That's what draws me to the idea of Taika Waititi doing Thor Ragnarok. What we do in the shadows, if if you <laughs> if if you're gonna watch one Taika Waititi project after you listen to this podcast, watch what we do in the shadows, people, please. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of thing where I had to I had to stop the movie frequently. <laughs> <laughs> during watching it to laugh to laugh so hard there's i'll just say the backpack gag that's yep. that's all i'll say you'll know you'll know it when you see it i had to i had to, I, <laughs> I i i hurt like my stomach my stomach hurt my i was i was sore like my my abs were sore the next day from <laughs> from laughing so hard uncontrollably uncontrollably hard yeah there's just there's so much about what we do in the shadows that again it's very funny it's very clever i feel like from the outset you you know immediately the personalities and the roles that each of the vampires who who live together in this flat you know you know who everybody is mm-hmm. you know you know their personality you know their their role and the dynamic and it's uh it's it's very efficient it's a very efficient little little film i think it's 86 minutes long uh if you do see it i would recommend i would recommend buying the blu-ray because there are lots of deleted scenes that are fantastic uh pacing wise i can see why they were left out but they're most of them are every bit as funny as the stuff that actually ended up in in the film so so yeah it just it just gives me a lot of hope that and here's another thing too about the movie is that even though it's it's silly it's very steeped in vampire lore yes and there are lots of little bits and pieces where they'll show pictures of old paintings or drawings or wood carvings or wood cuttings of vampire lore throughout throughout history. So I feel like it has, even though it's very silly and it's very funny, it does have this very strong foundation of actual vampire lore. So if you can translate that to the, the Norse mythology that's sort of behind Thor, and obviously Ragnarok being a culmination of all of that Norse mythology, if he can keep that, if he can maintain that that same sort of uh, sense of wonder for and respect of the underlying mythology, I think that's I think that's cool. And the only other thing, and this is another thing too that Sean and I had talked about in text messages last night, is that I would love to see this film not even come to Earth. That's one of the things that kind of yes. bummed me out. I think about Thor: The Dark World is that man just. 
be on Earth long enough to grab Jane and 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 Darcy and the intern and and, and get them into the adventure, but don't don't go back to Earth. You have all these other realms. Thor, the first Thor, sets up this such this huge sense mm-hmm. of wonder and science and and bigness to the universe. I don't want to come back to Earth. I want to go to these other places, and I hope Ragnarok stays there. And there's another thing I'd like to see, and this is something that was only hinted at in one of the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray for Thor The Dark World, is I want to see more of Thor as a physical fighter. I want to, yes. see, I want to see the fighter that he was trained to be before the hammer. I want to see Thor fight with a sword or a staff or... Axe. Or an axe, absolutely. Yeah. And we saw hints of that in the first Thor when he basically fights his way through the shield compound with no weapons. We see the, what a powerful fighter this guy is, but I want to see more of that, that range of, of weaponry, different things that he was trained in. If this is going to be ultimate war for, for Asgard, as Ragnarok should be, then... I would love to see more of a variety in the fighting. Uh, here you've got this guy, Chris Hemsworth, who is so physically imposing and so physically capable. Mm-hmm. Let's not have him just tossing the hammer around. Let's, let's, really, let's really get into the, into the meat of, of some of these fight scenes. It's something that I hoped to see in Thor The Dark World. It's something that when set photos started coming out of Thor The Dark World of you know thor in the 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 village battle there at the beginning Mm -hmm. and everybody looked dirty and bloody i was like oh man we're gonna get it we're gonna get exactly what i was what i was really wanting to see and just didn't quite come out that way in the actual film that's something i hope to see for ragnarok let's let's really let's let's stay away from earth let's go into the other realms let's wage war across the cosmos and let's see some more variety of, of why Thor is this, this incredible warrior. I can't even begin to imagine what Taika Waititi's Thor right. Ragnarok would be. I have no... The, what? It just on paper, it might not necessarily make a lot of sense. But seeing what I've seen from his films so far, the and again, I, I keep going back to the, the wit and the intelligence and the heart that are behind the humor i know that this is a very smart filmmaker with a lot of imagination and i can't wait to see what happens when those those things are given a a big budget and a big canvas to play with so bring it on this is just fantastic news for me John's last appearance on the Marvel Studios news podcast came in April of last year for our Avengers Endgame spoiler review That episode was nearly four hours, so there were a lot of clips to choose from. I narrowed it down just a bit, but there are still several that you're going to hear, starting with our intro, in which John got to make his surprise appearance on the episode, and then you'll hear him talk about some of his favorite moments in Avengers Endgame, and you'll be able to pick up in context which scenes he's discussing. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, and I am joined by Paul Herman. Paul, how you doing? Uh, that's a loaded question. That is a loaded question. So I I don't know. I don't know yet. We're gonna we're about to find out. 
We are about to find out. So this, as you probably guessed when you saw the episode title, is our spoiler review for Avengers Endgame, and we do mean spoiler review. So hopefully you have seen the movie, but now that the spoiler warning has been given, this is your last chance to step away, but now that it's been given, we are free to proceed. Sean. Huh? Sean, do you read me? John? On your left. There he is, the <laughs> one and only John oh. Beerley has joined us for this review. John Beerley, welcome back to Marvel Studios News. I think the last time you were on this show was when Taika was hired to direct Thor Ragnarok. Oh, man, has it been that long? My goodness. Yeah. Was, it, was uh, that on that show or was that off that show? I think you were off that show. I think that was just John and I. Oh, Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a while, and I have to say, in in the meantime, and I'm not just saying this because I love you guys, there is no other podcast on the planet that is putting the heart and the thought and the commitment and the work into celebrating these movies the way that you two have. So to be, you here, to be here on this show, on, <laughs> I, I, I honestly feel like like I'm just a total poser here. Like I just don't, oh, just, I don't even I don't even deserve to be here. Um, on this particular show that celebrates these uh, particular this particular film and it's and it's many it's so many milestones. I need people to know that John Billy is one of my closest friends and I, he is always welcome. Obviously, and Sean and I with, with us on the show and we we love John to death. Love and, you guys so much. It's ridiculous. Yes. Don't have a lot to add to the great stuff you guys have both said, other than I just love the again how quickly. How surprisingly quickly the movie is is going, and Thor, you think, oh my gosh, Thor just chopped his hand off. That's crazy. Yep. Oh, Thor chopped his head off. That's crazy. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think yeah, and th- and there we go, and it's over. It's yeah. over. Not only is this over th- for Thanos, it's over for our heroes. It's done. You well, lost. This mm-hmm. is it. We're done. Well, just we're in- done. And and what a great emotional entry into the film i mean you know everybody else is we've seen everybody else crushed and defeated but when when scott comes out of the quantum realm he doesn't know to be crushed and defeated yeah he doesn't he doesn't know what's going on he's just he's just regular upbeat scott hey big god for five hours what's up oh 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 my goodness and just how desperate paul rudd is as he's as he's looking at the memorial looking for cassie's name Mm -hmm. um you know banging banging on the door you know praying that she that she answers and this woman this woman comes to the door and just the 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 seconds it takes him to realize that this woman who answers the door instead of my daughter answering the door it's some woman oh my gosh this woman is my daughter Mm -hmm. and it's it's just there's just so much emotional just he's so 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 good everybody else is just kind of broken and dejected but you know this is this is the most outward emotion we've seen from anybody yet and i think the fact that it comes from ant-man who's just like the happy-go-lucky fun guy yep it's it's really 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 effective and it's a nice little example of the momentum of hope at this point in the film too because Mm -hmm. you really you really need some hope and excitement at this point the last time we saw bruce banner he was very much not okay now we see him and he's possibly too okay (laughs) yeah and we get, well, we don't know how it happened, eight, eight, you know, eight, eight, 18 months in a lab, and, and, and here he is. But uh, to, to, me, to me, that was enough, because it's, it's, it's so joyous to, you know, that was one of my, the things that frustrated me a little bit about Infinity War, was I just, I just felt like the, the, oh, he can't turn into the Hulk, just got a little bit jokey after a while. Ah, come on! It was just a little, it was a little, 
It's like I got it. Okay, I I, I get it. But I felt like they were, um, you know, just kind of hitting me over the head a little too hard with it by the end. So this was this was a really nice surprise here for me, and uh, uh, very very welcome. And again, as you said, the the comedy beats are are just are just lovely and wonderful. Yeah. It's also sad too to think that in all these years, Thor's 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 condition. In, in this film is a surprise to everybody. And it's heartbreaking to think that he's been closed off from everybody for, for that long. You know, they needed, everybody needs family. They need friends. Uh, Thor has a new kingdom here that he never even interacts with. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just video games with Korg and Meek. And as you said, Sean, you know, Hemsworth, one of the things about this movie is, okay, everybody, everybody gets to go out in, in a big way there's so many resolutions of so many storylines everybody gets to everybody gets to to be and look their best hemsworth goes through the entire movie other than a couple of quick scenes at the beginning you know is as, as this just disheveled thor mm-hmm. and i think it's i think it's kind of a big deal for you know you, you, you think for 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 an actor who is as as as, as friggin good looking as hemsworth is to to say yes i will commit to this for the entire movie um, I think that's 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 uh, that's that's really cool, and also too the, the the thing about it is one of the things I like about Thor being Thor having become very funny over the course of these movies is they can bring it right up to the edge almost of buffoonery sometimes, but what makes it real and makes it work is him's the sincerity that Hemsworth mm-hmm. brings to it. And and that's what just what comes through here. You talked about how how great of an actor he is. That that what's driving Thor through all of this is just that that gut wrenching raw pain that is always that is always right there. So to me, this wasn't something that's played for laughs. To me, this is something that's just an extension of his hurt. And and that's what Hemsworth. That's what comes through. The sincerity is what may, is what grounds the humor in Infinity War, and it's the hurt that grounds it in in Endgame. Very impressive work from this man, for sure. And I really just want to give it a little bit of extra love here to Hiroyuki Sonata, who is just such a just he just cuts such a classic figure on on screen. We previously saw him in uh, the Wolverine. Mm-hmm. as uh, Lord Shingen, and um, he's on Westworld uh, as Musashi in a couple of really strong episodes uh, uh, from the second season of Westworld. And, you know, just great, great actor. And it's just, it's again, it's hard to see how far some of these heroes have fallen. We, we're right on the heels of, of seeing, you know, how hurt Thor is, you know, and now we see Clint just, you know, think, compare, compare his appearance here to the way he looked at the beginning of the film on the farm with his family before before everybody disappeared mm-hmm. just happy and healthy and good and just and Tatiri just looks he just he's just physically and emotionally an absolute mess mm-hmm. but still capable and more dangerous than ever i love the you know after he after he, he kills hiroyuki sanada's character the way he just wipes the blood off on his yep on his clothes. This is this is not the first blood that's been all over his his new right. costume here. But it's it's, you know, you talk talk about red ledgers. This his 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 she Natasha knows better than anybody, you know, about having red in your ledger and and it's it has to hurt her to see him uh to see him going this far that far down this path. Great great work. Great work for him and a great a great 
great, great, great role for Jeremy Renner. Um, that's yeah. fantastic. I got to tell you, the, everything between Thor and his mom hit me hit me as hard as anything as anything in the movie. It was all so beautifully well done, and I love the line to her. She's like, "Boy, I was raised by witches. Yeah. You're not fooling me." You know, and, and which 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 again is just a nice little it's just a nice little sentence that that tells us more about her than than we previously knew. And I really felt like this was this was the best movie for Rene Russo and Frigga that we've that we've had in the yeah. uh, in, in in the MCU. And uh, I was really I was really personally very grateful and thankful for uh, for the beauty of these scenes. They really they really hit me where I live. And damn, when Cap got Mjolnir. See, catching Mjolnir, yes, that's the shot. But I'm losing my mind when he's just whipping Mjolnir, running towards him. And then the uppercut to Thanos. Oh, great shot. You know, he's slamming it on the ground, calling down lightning. Oh, the calling down the lightning. You know, it's just just like, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, he did not just, he didn't just pick it up. He he uses it. He wielded Mjolnir. And I tell you, man, you, you can tell. I knew something was up when, you know, Thor, Thor reaches out his hand and Mjolnir doesn't, yeah. it doesn't like fly. It, it goes up. I'm like, was it just lifted? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh no, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And and it was just such a great, a great moment. So to me, this was, of course, I spend the entire movie on Avengers Death Watch. I'm just convinced that yeah. everybody's going to die at any given moment. So to me, Cap wielding Thor was another <laughs> sign of, okay, that's Uh-oh. another death warrant sign. Here we go. And, you know, when it leads into, you know, Thanos just smacking him around and destroying the shield, yeah. the shield's just breaking into pieces. I thought, man, please don't tell me that everybody's going to show up. And the last thing everybody sees right as they show up is is Cap die. Is, yeah. is is that what we're leading to? Because man, I was oh, I was so nervous. I have nothing else to say other than that it was perfect. It yeah. was it was it was beautifully done, beautifully acted. And, you know, God bless Robert Downey Jr. for having been not only not only a wonderful Tony Stark, a wonderful Iron Man, but a great ambassador for Absolutely. the Marvel brand, a great kind of uh, a big brother and kind of guiding force for all of the other actors. I feel like Robert Downey Jr. was always setting the standard for everyone else to to rise up to. Mm-hmm. Um, so many charity things that he that he did, and just there just there's just a lot a lot of what he. The way he was again is an, an, an ambassador for Marvel um, off screen. Really, really set a high bar for um, just. Uh, he's been a really huge part of the goodwill that has been built uh, for these for these films in this universe. And we're, we're never going to have anybody else who's 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 like him in, in 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 that regard. But to me, one of the one of the sweetest moments and a really deserved moment was uh, Happy and Morgan talking about cheeseburgers yes and yeah i love i love that they gave that moment to john favreau yes because john favreau really he he did so much to kick off yes he did the marvel the marvel cinematic universe and and to we don't have it without iron man him. is yeah iron man is iron man is is not just the character uh but the movie that started all of this so it was yep. nice. It was nice to have him to have that little moment with with Morgan and get you all the cheeseburgers you want. And it was just so you know your your dad liked cheeseburgers, and yep. it was just such a sweet, beautiful little moment. Yeah. And again, the first thing Tony wanted when he came back from uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. So, um, you know, Sean, as I, Sean and I have said before, it's impossible to watch Iron Man and not just and not just need to go to Burger King right now. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, great, it little, ha- great it, little moment. It literally happened on my Iron Man rewatch as I rewatched all of the MCU <laughs> to get ready for this movie. So I tweet yeah. that I'm at Burger uh, King, and then John's tweeting me back, is this happening right now? <laughs> and yes, I'm it on was. my way. Yes, it was. I'm on my way. I'm buying um, a plane ticket right now. I wanted to say quickly about, just about Sam getting the shield. I watched, I got. I, I just got the, the, the 4K disc of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Captain America Civil War. And I watched Winter Soldier uh, yesterday for the first time in a while, and was just struck how, what a great, what a great character sam is and what mm-hmm. a great what a great actor anthony mackie is and what i love so much about sam in in the winter soldier is he's just this guy he's a guy who who cap happens to meet while he's while they're out while they're out running having their morning run and he gets swept into this this whole huge um this whole huge massive conspiracy with superheroes and super powered people and he just he just hangs right in there you know yeah. and i love it when they're um right after they've all been arrested and uh and uh, maria hill um re- reveals herself yeah. as is, is being there and she's like who's this guy mm-hmm. but the thing is by the time she says who's this guy he's already earned his place on the team <clears throat> absolutely in, in, such a, in such a short amount of time and then then you see him with you know he gets he gets he gets the wings and the and, and the everything and it's just like man this is a guy who was just you know doing his best doing his best after coming home from a tough deployment where he lost a lot. He's given everything he can. He goes, he, he, he talks to his veterans group and he tries to, you know, he tries to help people and he's just a good dude who suddenly when he's swept up into this whole thing, he steps up and he's mm-hmm. there. And when cap goes off, he's like, well, Hey, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go find Bucky. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be right there with you. Not that, Oh, well, it's the end of the right. It's the end of the road for me. Yep. This was all, this was all too much for some random dude like me. Nope. Right there. And uh, I really feel like he's 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 earned that, and I look forward to seeing um, Anthony Mackie with that ridiculous charisma, um, being being Captain America in one way or another. Well, first of all, thank you to Sean and Paul for letting me tag along for this. Thank you to all of Sean and Paul's listeners for letting me tag along to this. This has been uh, this has been a blast to talk about these movies with these guys, and and to have seen the the joy that that the three of us and so many people have shared from these films over, over the last few years. I mean, you know, our, I'll never forget laughing how hard we laughed, um, <laughs> during and after that Thor, that Thor podcast, uh, that yep. we, that we, that, that we did. And, um, the box office, you, you look at the, what's happening and how much money this movie is, is making. That's because, so many people have been touched by these films the way the way that we have and i do think everything sean said is i i can't say it better i mean what a perfect culmination for for these for these characters for the fans for the achievement upon achievement upon achievement that these films have made and continue to make i mean you know captain marvel captain marvel bumped back up to Number two at the box office mm-hmm. this 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 week. She made a billion dollars. Black Panther made a billion dollars. Um, this certainly won't be the last Marvel film that makes a billion dollars. Uh, they're not all going to make two billion. Yeah, <laughs> but but the fact that this one is is well on the on the path to do that means that a lot of people have been touched by what these films have accomplished, and that people love these movies, and people clearly love this one. 
And, you know, just congratulations to everybody involved and to Joe and Anthony Russo. You're welcome because I called it a long time ago <laughs> on Modern Myth Media. These are the guys. These are yep. the guys. You're welcome. Our final clip comes from episode 28 of Fandalorians, which was our chapter eight spoiler review for the first season finale of The Mandalorian. This was the last podcast that John and I ever recorded together. Have a listen to John's closing thoughts on the first season of The Mandalorian. This has been fantastic. This is what happens when you you have an incredible variety of directors with 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 who all have their own specific voices and specific strengths, getting to flex those specific voices and muscles and strengths within a cohesive plan from the beginning to create something really special. And I've 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 been consistently impressed more than anything just by um, you know the the different things that different directors are bringing to the table and all of it is in service of the story it's in service of the characters it's in service of building something new and fresh that still it it feels like star wars to its core but it doesn't feel like anything that i've ever seen from star wars before and i'm so in love with this show and as sean said yeah you know uh, episode five wasn't wasn't our favorite, but uh, every every other episode of this I have re- revisited so many times. I can sit down and watch uh, an episode of The Mandalorian anytime and discover new things and fall in love with the same things over again in different ways from different perspectives. And I'm just um, this is this is this is one of the best Star Wars things that uh, has ever happened, as far as I'm concerned. And I know that when Sean and I had our first conversations about starting you know about starting the show uh i i never knew that it would be or that that i just i never knew that it would be this good and i don't think any of us knew it was going to be this good whenever we first met john beerley there was just no way any of us could have realized what an extraordinary human being had just become a part of our lives and how he was going to go on to become one of our closest friends and brothers. John Beerley truly was one of a kind, and I hope that in listening to these clips, you were able to hear just a small sample that represents the extraordinary qualities that we talked about throughout this episode. Even when John was critical of something like Thor the Dark World, you heard him criticize it with love. It all came from love. It all had tremendous heart and sincerity behind it including all of that praise, which makes it mean that much more when John was talking about things like Thor, Superman, Breaking Bad, Mad Max Fury Road, Taika Waititi, and Avengers Endgame, and of course, The Mandalorian. What you heard at the beginning of this episode was the original Modern Myth Media Podcast intro music. What you will hear now to close the show is the Modern Myth Media intro music that we switched to midway through the run of that show, followed by the intro-slash-outro music for Fandalorians, which John really, really liked. So for Paul, Chris, and Justin, I'm Sean. We love you, John. We miss you. Until our paths cross. You don't owe these people anymore. You've given them everything. Not everything. Truth. 
American justice. I can do this all day. The American way. With great power comes great responsibility. What are you prepared to do? I swear to God. Swear to me. Coming for blood. We'll finish them together. Push it. Director Fury, I think it's time. Gentlemen, 